0: Friday, November nineteenth, twenty twenty-one, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast.
1: Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules today, Junior America. Steak
2: for breakfast. So stand by.
0: This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Mm. Rubs, barbecue tools, blowtorches, t shirts, coffee cups, all around barbecue related gear for you to make barbecue great again. Use the code steak 15 for 15% off your order. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear, they're at StayReadyGear.com. On Instagram, StayReadyGear USA. Holsters, custom kydex, you need something custom, they can make it for you. Use the code STEAK for 5% off your order. Don't get ready. Stay ready The world's
3: most technologically advanced in-studio recording gear can be found at Odyssey and Odyssey.com Whether you're gaming, podcasting, under pressure, or just listening to some music Odyssey's got everything you need Check them out on Facebook, check them out on Instagram Guns! We love them Noah's a huge fan, doesn't have any though Nope Zero of them Mm Mm-mm probably negative guns. Negative guns, that's actually a thing. That's me. You know who's got them? Who? Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms. Who's been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's got a 5-star rating if you're into the tradies. Not ammo. We hear you, ATF. He's a licensed FFL. Mike's on Facebook Messenger. You can find him on his newly redesigned website at westcoastsurvivalarms.com and via the telephone at 619-870-6992, not 970. Something like that. Don't confuse our listening audience Uh, You know know who's rarely confused All of our first responders They're usually on it And probably getting ready for a little Fall of love this weekend Out in Kenosha They're definitely under pressure There you go Uh, They are also not Mediocre Medics However, they love shopping there MediocreMedic.com Flip flops, fanny packs, sweatshirts, t-shirts And more Um, They aren't them,
0: but they love their Instagram as well. I still want to hear the Bruce Buffer going over the PA system, going through like an alley. Oh, there you go. That'd be good. You know what
3: else is great? Zero, fucks duck. Mark Joe Friday, dumpbox.us. Where is the home of them? Patches, t-shirts, sweatshirts, flags, stickers. Mark's got everything. From movies that you couldn't even imagine Or think that you could make a patch from Mark's done it Either in rubber ducky form Or other Again that's at dumpbox.us They're on Facebook They're on Instagram And on that note friends Don't forget to follow us on Instagram At Steak for Podcast Breakfast There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias Our websites Telegram and more And on that note Welcome Friday edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 83. I'm Roan, joined today by Noah. Yo. Antoinette's here. Hello, hello. We are going to have Amanda Milius and Dr. Peter Navarro coming up shortly. But first, let's do some news. How are you guys doing today? Outstanding.
2: Good. I've got my toddler in the background, so apologies if anybody... Hears him and he makes a little cameo. Hear
0: any, hear any broken glass and shrieking. Always <laughs> no got his I toddler in here from as upstairs. well. I yeah.
2: upstairs. He's a uh, he knows he's alone, so I, I know he's um, planning and plotting. If it gets too <laughs> quiet, you know you're in trouble. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. If there's more than two minutes of silence, you need to go check on him. My dog just sits here and stares at me. Sometimes growls. Yeah. It's a nice growl though. All right, let's talk about. Uh, we're going to do the back end. Of the Mayorkas hearings. Ugh. Yeah, from the other day. We played half of the dunk fest. We're going to get to the rest of it right now because it was pretty spicy, and I said I was going to bring it to you all if, uh, you know, it was. And it, remember, these are things that... How many times do you think he got shoved in a locker in high school? Lots. Like every day? Apparently not enough, though. Another revenge hire. Because <laughs> um, remember, he was definitely looked at hard by the the House and the Senate when he was the director of CIS, but that's water under the bridge now. Just like... The water under the bridge (laughs) currently is bringing a lot of people into the United States. Oh, man. No parallels there. Um, One of the things that's holding up a lot of Joe Biden appointments is Ted Cruz because he wants... Oh, I thought you were going to say incontinence. Austin, Milley, and Mayorkas fired for their overall levels of incompetence across the board.
0: It sounds like incontinence.
3: So where Rand Paul might be the senatorial version of Dr. Fauci's kryptonite. Oof! Yeah, Ted Cruz is the same for Alejandro Mayorkas. I love it. He doesn't just ask them questions; he asks the biggest. It's like a. It's like a tweet. It's just a big troll, and uh, you you could hear him getting worked up in this first clip we're going to play now about the Biden cages. Can we? Uh, can we get him on the show? <laughs> Great. Children
4: have been in the Biden cages in calendar year
1: 2021. Um, 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 Senator, I uh, uh, respectfully disagree with. Uh, um, your use of uh, the term cages fine you can disagree oh, no. with it how many children have been in the biden cages
4: i've been to the biden cages i've seen the biden cages how many children have you detained at the donna tent facility in the cages you built told to kids how many children have been in those
1: cages uh, senator i can uh, uh, provide to you the following uh, figure that um, when and let me let me say that when a child I, — I
4: don't — it's a simple question. How many children I, have been in those cages?
1: Uh, I, I respectfully am not familiar with the term cages and <laughs> uh, to these what are you are referring. Sided, uh, there are yeah.
4: enclosures in which they are locked in, in which I took photographs and put them out because you blocked the press and didn't want people to see the Biden cages. So Secretary Mayorkas, you're not answering my question, so let me ask you this. In the past year, has Joe Biden been down to see firsthand the Biden cages? Senator, I will again. Respond. Has Joe Biden been down to see this facility?
1: His assistant yes no. just brought out the like a five by has eight. Has not <laughs> been down to okay, see no. picture yes a picture of or no? Has
4: Kamala Harris been down to see these detention facilities? She has not been down. Okay. Has any Democratic senator on this committee been down to see the Biden cages?
1: Mm. I will once again disagree with your use of terminology. Uh, These
4: facilities, has any Democratic member of this committee given a damn enough to see the children being locked up by Joe Biden and Kamala Harris because of your failed immigration policies?
1: uh, Senator, I cannot speak to um, the members of
4: this committee. Anything? You you, you don't know if any Democrats have been down there? To, to, oh, I,
1: I believe, Democrats have been down. To see this facility, yes or no? On a facility. Whether they are members of this committee, I do not know. Well, yeah. Uh,
0: so it's
2: easy to answer the question. Like it, uh, he said, facility. So you can agree with that terminology. Why wouldn't he do it?
0: Uh, Antoinette, I'm going to have to just dis- uh, disagree with your terminology of question. There you go. <laughs> I'm gonna
3: segue, even though we do have some more. He is a likable fellow, though. Dunk fest to go with some breaking news. Neither one of you are looking at your phone, so I know you don't know it. Kyle Rittenhouse has been found not guilty on all charges. Oh, thank God!
0: Yeah.
2: Shut the fuck up. Hell yeah! I knew it. Thank yeah, it just God. broke. All my prayers answered. Whoop whoop.
0: Man, I can't wait to wear <laughs> my fuck around and find out uh, Kyle Rittenhouse t-shirt. Well, it's, it's oh
3: even my better. God, we'll, be, yeah, we'll be. Hell yeah! We'll be seeing a lot more of him because in the last couple of days. Uh, Matt Gates has been doing the cable news circuit, saying that he is going to offer him a congressional internship if he is found not guilty in the nice.
0: So now he's going to be Thank working you. on it's Capitol amazing. Hill. Yeah, that'd be great. They're going to so. put him on a box of Wheaties next. I hope so. Um, Didn't get any prettier. Wait, what's burning down right now? Anything?
3: Everything. Everything? Yeah, you can probably smell it from San Diego.
0: I saw somebody post that there's bricks are showing up again. Imagine like just that. random piles of bricks. Well, it is brick season. Yeah, it is brick season.
3: <laughs> the bricks are in bloom.
0: <laughs> oh, there you go. Don't give me the fully. Nope. We got a lot more of this
3: one left. Uh, Josh Hawley was next, and he wanted to talk about, uh, he circled back because the border's been such a disaster, which was created by them to forget about Afghanistan. Josh Hawley still wants to know, because a lot of people have gone to his state and are staying in state-of-the-art facilities on military bases, how many of those people were actually vetted before they all piled into the planes? Zero? You're close. Oh, two. Probably
0: zero. Yeah. Okay. Now
5: you've testified that you're not doing those interviews. Not at all. That they're not happening. No, if I may. Senator, you are, you have just testified. You just said you may not. that they are not being interviewed unless they're already in our system as a known terrorist. No. That would have captured none of the 9/11 hijackers. If, if I may, Senator, that is that is not. And I apologize if I was
1: not clear. <laughs> um, you are correct that we are not conducting in person full refugee interviews of 100% of the individual. What percentage enterprise. are you conducting? I don't have that information. What number of in interviews? Uh,
5: what we are doing. Wait, wait, wait. What, num- what number of, of, the, of the more than 60,000 brought to the country, what number have received Everybody's an in-person interview enemy, before enemy. they came to the country? Because you said 100% are screened. So what percentage have been given an actual interview by a trained official before they come to the country?
1: Um, when you're speaking of a full refugee-like interview, I right. don't have that data. I will tell you why not. Are you not tracking it? No, I don't have that yeah. data with me. Well, well, like I, don't, I, don't hear you. I understand what that means. Say. But
5: why don't you? Are you not traffic- tracking it? Tracking no, um, it.
1: Uh, we have data in the Department of Homeland Security. You're asking me what data I have at my fingerprints.
5: Well, why don't you have it? You run the Department of Homeland Security. Are why do you not those? know who has been interviewed or not before they're brought to this country?
3: Mayork is getting pissed. You can see it
5: in his face. He
3: started his, to do his like- He
5: fingerprints. Yeah,
3: well, probably not lying. Um, so, so so he's getting hammered pretty good. But uh, there was a couple from uh, one of our favorite national treasures. Ooh. Senator Kennedy. Nice. Yeah, he, oh,
0: my gosh. He had a couple of that them. That guy should be on a Wheaties box. He definitely should be.
3: Um, he wanted to know about COVID-positive illegal immigrants- Coming into the U.S., so I, I think it's it's pretty good that we touched on that one. Your your administration has released thousands
4: of people into our country who are COVID positive, have you not?
1: Uh, Senator, as I mentioned earlier, it is our policy to test and, as necessary, isolate and quarantine. I know, but you have still released thousands who are positive, haven't? You? Uh, there have been individuals who have been released. There you go. Of How many there have been thousands?
3: Well uh, he, what's even better is is that somebody wanted to uh know how long it's been since he talked to the border czar. And, and what she's been up to with her amazing poll numbers of twenty eight percent. She's
0: she's busy being the uh
3: acting president acting for an hour president, yeah. While his butt got wiped. Literally. Do you think he's gonna wake up? <laughs> he already came back and said he was feeling better. Oh good. Yeah. <laughs> Some wet wipes. Well, let's find out if he talks to the border czar.
1: It was the last time you talked to her about, about uh, securing the border? Several weeks ago. Okay.
0: Perfect. Oh, good.
1: Yeah. Um,
3: where, where there is comic relief with, with Senator Kennedy, there's also things that are serious, like the Biden vaccine mandate, which is getting beat up in court right now and most likely going to be defeated. But some of the senators wanted to know, where's the accountability for the people that he's letting free-for-all across the border when the federal agents that are supposed to be apprehending them and processing them? Are being having their jobs dangled in front of them, in with the threat of firing, to not take the mandate.
0: That's uh, kind of makes you, you know, feel pretty good about working. Barely. National mandate for vaccines for any employers over 100 employees and all federal employees. Why shouldn't we mandate
4: that somebody who comes across the border illegally shouldn't be vaccinated, or that's a reason for expulsion
1: under well, Title 42 or any other law, uh, um, mm-hmm. Senator? Um, uh, the analysis for um, Uh, migrants encountered at the border is quite different uh, than for uh, the federal workforce that leads by example. Did you hear that,
3: Noah? The federal workforce leads by example, therefore their vaccination status is different than the migrants who don't have to have a vaccine mandate.
0: That sounds a lot like, uh, what is it, Uh, science? Mm. Is that that science? Sounds like science, science, right? Uh, What do you think Mm -hmm. Dr. Fauci would say to that one? Uh, I think he would probably say you are part of the problem because we're not vaccinated. Well, at the end of the day, they want
3: to know because you're
0: not vaccinated.
3: If one of the conspiracy theories that we all buy into is real. Mm. Are they really destabilizing the borders and letting all these people in and probably going to grant them all citizenship and dangle money in front of them as something to boost the polls on voter day? Yes. Yes. Josh Hawley did ask the question. And it was kind of good to hear somebody in the Senate actually ask it.
5: I think you just said that your view is that, that paying illegal immigrants $450,000 or more, a million more per family, a million eight, that that is not a pull factor. Uh, In other words, it wouldn't encourage more illegal immigration, right? You said not a pull factor, your words. I have the opportunity to answer this question. Well, I just want to be, you said not a pull factor, right? I couldn't quite hear you at the time, so I just want to be sure that's what you said. The, The settlement payment of the federal tort claim charge
1: arising from a family separation effected under the prior administration's zero tolerance policy would not be
5: a pull factor that is my testimony that is your understood i think that's news that you think that these payments to illegal immigrants would not be a pull factor would not that paying them would not encourage more illegal immigration that that's news thank you for that
3: can we can we send a a little memo to these senators to not do the whole every single time they want to make a point they don't have to slam the table Mm. makes for bad audio yeah so what do you think i mean there are some in the Senate right now who are saying that there are going to be no leeway for Biden appointments, which is at an all-time low. I think he's between 7 and 9 when the average is like 37 at this point in the first year. Of, oh, he's an underachiever. Right. Well, that's for sure. Um, until some of these people who have absolutely destroyed everything within the federal government over the last 10 and a half months have some kind of actual consequences. Um. I thought it was. there was a lot of eye-opening testimony there. Mm-hmm. I mean, apparently the Jen Psaki non-answer is, uh, I don't have that data in front of me. <laughs> Mayorkas, Fauci, and um, Merrick Garland all said the same thing. I don't have that data. I've never seen that data.
0: I feel like if you were in court for something, that would be a poor defense.
3: Yeah, it sure would be. Um, so is lying under oath? mm which they all have been when they've gone to these. Uh, so much lying under oath. Lots of lying under oath. Antoinette, what do you think?
2: Uh, I don't even know. Um, it's just, it's such a shit show, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, it oh. is, you know. <laughs> it's getting there. We'll see. I mean, only time will tell.
3: Joining us today, first on the show, this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast, she is the founder and director of One AMDC Productions. She served in the Trump administration as the Deputy Assistant Secretary for Content in the United States, Department of State's Bureau of Global Public Affairs, also project manager for the Office of American Innovation. She's the daughter of legendary film director and producer John Milius, and she's the director of the documentary The Plot Against the President. Miss Amanda Milius, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast.
6: Thanks for having me. It's good to hang out with you guys.
3: And we're glad to have you. What's been going on in your world since, uh, you know, you stopped working in the administration? What have you been doing for the last year?
6: Well, I mean, I resigned a year before the end of the admin. So I resigned in early 2020 because I had to make the movie. So I was actually kind of lucky in that I wasn't – I I already kind of knew what I was doing next um, as opposed to a lot of people that, you know, thankfully – stayed in until the very last minute. And then there was sort of this rush to figure out like, what do we do? And there was all these people creating lists saying like, don't hire anybody from the Trump administration and all this, right. which absolutely did nothing at all because anybody looking at those lists, weren't gonna hire our people anyways. And it's like, um, so it didn't really matter. But um, I, um, so yeah, so I started the production company in 2020 and we did plot against the president over the course of that year. We actually did it really fast. Uh, there's no way I will ever make a movie that fast again. Um, so I almost feel kind of bad setting that precedent because people are like, "Oh, it's like been a year. Don't you have another movie now?" And I'm like, "That's not how it works. Like <laughs> nobody makes movies that fast." Um, but we were up against an election, and it was, uh, you know, it was it was it, it needed to happen in such a rush for a lot of different reasons. Um, so i created the company then and now we're developing four new projects one of which i think we're announcing on monday um so i can't preemptively announce it but Are you sure uh, but i i know <laughs> but we're putting out a release on monday um for what the very next project will be but we're kind of doing four simultaneously uh, I'm not going to direct all of them, obviously, because that would be uh, insane, and I never really intended to do that, anyways. So what uh, what we're going to do is, I'll, you know, my team and I are producing them. Some of them will have different directors. I'm I'm probably going to direct one of them, um, and uh, it'll be it's it's it, you know it the projects that we found are really stick to the theme Mm -hmm. the theme being um telling stories that could not be told in the authoritarian crushing world of traditional hollywood and stories that speak to the enemies of our way of life and country um so i think that that's like, like that can cover a lot of ground there's a lot of different kinds of people we're not necessarily doing straight politics it's more just about doing dissident content um and uh and i think that's going to be important because i don't want to i don't want to be put in just this oh we just do politics thing there's a handful of conservative directors that do that that just stay in the political zone and um you know there's there's plenty of movies about abortion and jesus and i don't need to (laughs) add to that i have nothing to add to that genre we're kind of, we're a little bit on the edgier line, let's say.
3: Uh, yeah, you definitely were with, with the plot against the president. We're going to get into that in just a bit. I do want to ask going back about the experiences while you were working uh, in the Trump administration. Um, how, like, what did, actual projects did you have your hands in that you felt coming away really... Uh, helped make a difference and try to get that America first agenda across the finish line while you were there working?
6: Well, I mean, it's tough because like, you know, the way things work, which you don't realize until you get into government is how many layers of blockages there are to actually do anything. And it's one of my frustrations with the admin, which look again, I've said this before, which is that I am like a massive, massive Trump devotee. Okay. Like I drank the Kool-Aid I'm in, I'm in the club, like I, I don't care what happens. Like I'm in. We can, you know, I'm gonna. I'll drink the Kool-Aid if we have to. Like, but to say that there were issues in the administration as far as hiring and not bringing in all of our enemies to work with us, uh, I just, you know, I, I don't know what the thought process was with that. Like, why we were hiring people like Fiona Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, Alyssa Farha, who now is coming out and speaking on the View yeah. about how she's—I love—I love these girls in the administration. By the way, they're always comms chicks, and I noticed this because, like, you could say I was a comms chick, but I stayed sort of in the, um, the dark arts world. Like, I had never—I I never wanted to be one of these chicks that stands at a podium and like reads talking points. I just—that's not for me. I like to do this sort of. Um, like more kind of like Machiavellian, like under the current uh, stuff. That's, it's better when people don't know what I'm doing um, for everyone. Uh, but the stuff that I notice, these always these chicks come out, and it's whether it's uh, Stephanie Grisham or Alyssa Farha or mm-hmm. any of these absolute dingbats who would be doing nothing at all if it weren't for the Trump administration, um, come out and either write books or go on The View and talk shit on the administration. And I love how they walk away from it. And everyone's an extremist but them. They're like, oh, my God, it was just so hard for me to be promoted. And like, oh, God, it was so so terrible. And everyone got it's true. Everything they say about them is awful. They're just all awful. And you're like, yeah, you didn't think that when you were doing everything within your power to get to get promoted um, in the admin at the time. Uh, So I don't know if like they got dumped by the wrong guy or uh, (laughs) something happened, but these chicks just like go off the reservation. I have no respect for that. I mean, look, you'd have issues with the administration. I mean, I did too, like I said, I don't like the fact that we hired a lot of our enemies. I think we could have gotten a lot done had I not had to. my friends and I being the people that were trying to get the America first agenda that we told the American public we were gonna do and that the president said that he wanted and that would frequently do formal orders to do. If I hadn't had to fight against a bunch of people, my friends and I hadn't had to fight against a bunch of people who were like, yeah, the president told us to do that in the room, but um, actually that's crazy. And what we're gonna do is like kiss ass to NATO instead or something like that, whatever it was, uh-huh. you know? or, or they were afraid of the press. The thing that was really incredible is anybody that worked in the Trump administration, I don't know how you sign up for that job, with a fear of the press. Yeah. Like the press already hates you. They already said that we're all Nazis. How much worse is it going to get? Just stop reading it. Ignore it. Do whatever exactly. you
7: Exactly.
6: You know, it's like a, it's like you got like a green light. Like nothing the press says matters anymore. So just do your work and stop paying attention to it. And these people, these these there were like adult men in senior positions, some of them cabinet secretaries, sitting in rooms shaking with fear over what the press might say about them if they did what they were supposed to do. So having witnessed that, mm-hmm. I have no respect for these people and I have no reason not to call them out. I mean, one of the people that I uh, enjoy uh, making fun of more than most others is Mike Pompeo, because oh, for some reason heavily. he gets this, he gets this uh, reputation amongst a lot of the um, you know mill Twitter, as being this like great hero who's really tough and who's really loyal to the president and nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, there is nothing that scares that man more than bad press. He will literally back away from every ideal he claims to have uh, in public if he thinks he's going to get a bad press story from it. I mean, the guy's a complete phony. Um, He's he's just one of the most absolute uh, deep state uh, establishment snakes. That got in there. And, um, you know, a lot of our people for some reason think he's he's like a really tough guy. I I don't I mean, he's a stress eater. Like, no,
2: we can't have that as a president. Yeah, it sounds like something new. I'm glad (laughs) because you have this facade and it's like, you know, like you don't know what people are like behind the scenes, obviously, but. Well, wow, good to know. I mean,
6: his entire staff, his entire inner circle was never Trumpers. He didn't hire a single person that wasn't a never Trumper. He specifically targeted wow. and fired anybody that was actually trying to accomplish the Trump agenda. Um, oh, shit. He, uh, uh, you know, he prevented the president from releasing the full Kennedy. Uh, yes. Uh, documentation. Yeah. It was a Huge deal. I mean, what, yeah. like, he's more loyal to the CIA than he is to anybody else, which I find very weird. I mean, remember people, he gave Gina Haspel, Gina Haspel, who I'll remind you again, being a Russiagate nerd like I am, Gina Haspel was uh, uh, the chief of London station when Christopher Steele and uh, the rest of the British Deep State were organizing, were, were helping to organize the Russiagate coup against Donald Trump. So, like, I don't forget stuff like that very easily. Um, I, and, and because I'm not trying to grift in the Washington, D.C., foreign policy establishment like a lot of the people i worked with i mean i'm i have a grift right like let's not let's be clear everybody's got a grift my grift is right there like i make movies and i want people to see them and the plot against the president is still available on amazon itunes and rockfin and you nah. should watch it when i get caught up <laughs> everything well, that's don't clear,
3: worry we'll live link it for you too <laughs> for sure
6: <laughs> that's a that's a grift that i feel is kind of honest okay like people know what i'm after the most a lot of these people that left the administration, they're like running around at the Atlantic Council and like at places that have nothing to do with uh, the America First agenda. One hundred percent. Yeah. And, and, and even the America First Policy Institute, which no. is you know the unfortunate uh, the unfortunately named collective uh, of everybody who bar- barely accomplished anything in the admin all have now gathered in very expensive offices to do things like uh, work on. Healthcare care mm, and mm. Um, things like that, which I just don't even remember being a priority. It's not like they've, they've got one or two very, very good immigration people. I will say that. So hopefully they take that seriously. But, um, you know, aside from Stephen Miller, who's kicking ass yes. uh, continuously, I mean, the guy is just like, I just wish he would do more TV because I adore him as a comms guy. But I love what he's doing with his thing. There's there's not that many people coming out of it really taking the America First um, agenda and running with it which is what we should be doing like we have we have a handful of years right we've got to continue pushing this fight
3: yeah i i literally grab some popcorn every time i hear that stephen miller is going to be on like fox news because not only is he going to talk too fast for them to stop him he's going to yeah. say so much real information during that time that you can almost see Sean Hannity start sweating every time he starts getting into <laughs> yeah. like the real issues. And <laughs> yeah, like you, I like see. you said, right. Donald Trump did have the unfortunate case of having to deal with, uh, you know, those Chris Christie hires in the beginning. And then by the, by
6: the thing is, so like, yeah. Okay. Yes. The Chris Christie hires and believe me, I've got some issues with the Christie book. Like there was this whole section of State Department that got wiped out and replaced with a bunch of people from Christy Town who were just the most absolutely idiotic, incapable morons of all time. And then like some of them I'm told are good people. However, the thing is both, there's this mythology of the hiring and I'm very interested in this because a lot of my friends were working in transition at the time I should acknowledge, I certainly was not. I was a very low level nobody, I was just working at the, The party planning department, which was uh, the uh, the inaugural committee, Uh because I'd never been politics before, I had no business doing any of that until I went to state. Um, But people have have commonly tried to figure out, like, where where did it happen? Like, where did the mistakes happen? Um, And I mean, Steve Bannon really said it best. Uncle Steve uh, really said it best when he said the original sin of our administration was letting the establishment in. Yes, and and that happened in in a lot of ways, it didn't, it wasn't just one book of hires. It was, it was many different people. A lot of it was Ryan's Priebus. A lot of it was the RNC. And, um, you know, speaking of terrible hires, I can harken back to my old boss, Mike Pompeo, who, by the way, was the guy that advocated for promoting General Milley, mm-hmm. General White Rage Millie. Mm-hmm. you know? Uh, so it's, um, there is bad stuff going on all over the place, but maybe next time we can have a nice, pure America first, like real, uh, real, really, really hardcore admin that just goes in there and, uh, and wipes out everything that came before.
2: God willing.
3: Yeah, uh, that, that makes a whole lot of sense. And, you know, I was actually just talking to somebody about that today. I, I think in, in, in a future Trump administration, you're going to see probably some of the people who were there with him at the end, probably yeah. some of the people who were featured in the documentary, circling back for for another administration but we're going to see a lot less of of those people like we just mentioned and ones that are still there now it's kind of the big tell if if they lasted past when when trump left the white house and then, then it's pretty certain that they weren't for the america first agenda and, and- yeah,
6: you here you want to hear the scariest one that nobody pays attention to so if you recall between tillerson and pompeo there was mm-hmm. a period of time where we didn't have Uh, and a uh, a, uh, confirmed Secretary of State. So the Deputy Secretary was the Acting Secretary. His name's John Sullivan. Yes. Um, He was a Tillerson pick. Um, He was a D.C. lawyer, um, didn't really have uh, a ton of uh, America First opinions. I don't really know what he thought of the president even. Um, And he basically was just this coward who facilitated firing some of the most um, America first, pro-Trump, loyal people that worked at State Department. And uh, so he was allowed to stay as Secretary of State for a period of time. And then from there became the deputy, which is a very powerful position at the State Department. Um, and from there, after uh, after a while, was sent over to be our ambassador to Russia, of all places, <laughs> okay. where he remained. Wow. By the way. <laughs> The guy was so ridiculous that the America for that the the Biden administration chose to keep him in that role. So that just well, that's just telling. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's a politically appointed ambassador. That's very different than a career appointed ambas- uh, career uh, ambassador, which are people that rise yeah. to the State Department. There's mostly those. There's basically like 10 to 12 percent of politically appointed ambassadors. Let me just right. tell you, they weren't trying to hang on to Rick Grinnell. OK, Rick was our guy. Right. And yeah. The Biden administration did not like him at all
2: for sure for no, sure
3: they, they sure didn't and uh Rick, rick's still out there doing some great stuff um he's he, he's a king yeah he definitely is him cash right guy yeah there, there's a lot of good ones and, and of course dr navarro i have to i do have to tell you erica who who does dr navarro scheduling she said she she loves you and she misses you and to say hi
6: yes i say hi i also say hi i love her she's great um Peter's amazing. Cash is amazing. Cash is doing some really great stuff as well. Cash Patel, who's obviously like the Tom Cruise of <laughs> Plot Against the President, He's yeah. like, uh, you know, I mean, he is. He's yeah, like, he is. He, he, love he is. it. The Tom Cruise of the movie. I <laughs> mean, all the women love him. It's like people are like, oh, your DMs, your DMs. It's like, no, my DMs are not filled with anybody interested in me. My DMs are filled with like MAGA moms asking me to hook them up with Cash.
2: Oh my god. <laughs> but, uh, amazing. I, He's doing
6: this thing called FightWithCash.com, where he's actually going to go and nice. um, he's he's going and fighting back against big tech for defaming people, um, you know, because he's suing like the New York Times for yep. millions and millions of dollars. Like the guy's, he's killing it.
3: You know, we are we are going to have fun and a laugh, but I, I need to get I need to talk to you about the podcast first. You brought up the New York Times. We are going to get back to that. Tell us about this experience, dude. Like you said, it was the fastest. Thing you've ever produced and directed you would never do it again because of the time sensitivity of it it was kind of like a whirlwind experience but when you actually sit down and look at the product which is amazing I mean it's stuff that people in like all the social circles who get banned off social media can only talk about you put it into a movie and and, and what was that experience like kind of like when you were able to sit back and actually watch the finished project and be like you know it's it's cool to live through it and be able to talk about it but to see it and I did it it's just amazing.
6: I mean, sometimes I look at it and I, I mean, like the first time I looked at it all together, because like we edited it and created it, um, you know, you see it, you work on it all together, but like the way we did it the way you're not supposed to do it. Like I went to the best film school in the country and they probably beat me up for acknowledging that I did it this way because you're not supposed to do it. We did it in reels because we had no time. If we had waited until the very end and then handed the colorist the final product, we wouldn't have been able to put it out the day we put it out. So we literally, like, that is an insane way of editing and you should never do it. Um, So when I saw the entire thing all together and it was like done, I was actually shocked that it made any sense. (laughs) And I was like, oh, like this, this actually. I was like, I think this works. I understand it. And I was like, I and I, we didn't have time to do test screenings. We didn't have time to play it for like people who didn't know anything about politics, this, that, or the other. It was just like, no, go put it out. We're, this is it. And the fact that it really does resonate with, with both what we wanted, which is Russiagate experts, yeah. of which there are a lot, Um, and, uh, and mom and dad America, people who don't have time to figure out, you know, follow this story in all of its detail. The fact that it worked, I mean, it's just, it's a blessing. I mean, it feels almost like, um, like sometimes I feel like I didn't even make it. Like, it was just like, I don't know, like God made it. And I just like watched. I, it's just, it's so, it's, I'm so thankful that it is as good as it is. (laughs) Um, um, I'm really happy about it. Uh. It's I mean, yeah, and I think in some ways the speed is what helped make it good, because a lot of times you can get really too precious with stuff where you're like, oh, I really like this segment about this thing or like, I really like this shot or whatever. And you get a little too attached to things and they don't actually need to be in there. But the fact that like it is just like everything's gone that doesn't need to be in it, like where there was no time to him and ha about like whether I could like go off on some like artsy direction. It was like, nope, this is the story. This is what has to be told. This is it um and i think it works really well for that i mean i i i liked working at that speed it was it was insane um i just i you physically can't do that like right. more than once or twice you know in a, in a few year period of time like um the movies we're doing now we are still going to um do as quickly as possible like i'm not one of these people that spends like i was you know i'm not going to mention who but there's this conservative director that spent four years making a movie about like it's like people talking to each other. It's like not that hard. Like I was like, how the fuck do you spend like uh, I, I, I'm not like that. And I try to be very conservative with funds. I'm not one of these people that thinks that it's like some kind of like big accomplishment to make movies for no money and then put them out on YouTube and not not actually like hit as many people as possible. Like yeah. you need to produce quality work that competes with Hollywood because that's our job. Um, Definitely. And. I mean, I think the the other reason the other reason that things that that went well is in in this sort of nerdier way, which I've talked about before. But I don't want to like it's not the exciting thing about filmmaking, but the fact that like I did go to this film school for producing, and I know I've worked for production companies. I know the law as far as uh, a lot of aspects of entertainment law, and I know I know that the lawyers are as big of a part of the production company as anybody else, and I know that there's a reason that it's not been kicked off of these giant platforms because I refuse to do anything or say anything or make a claim that isn't 180% backed up. Um, and, And even if it's things that I know that are true and that need to be said, because we have to be perfect, like we as conservatives or fringe people on the right or whatever you want to call it, um they will use any excuse to silence us because there is censorship and big tech is a giant problem and big hollywood is a problem but so i'm not going to give them any single little shred to go Mm -hmm. off like a lot of people have asked me they're like are you going to do the movie on 2020 the election for example um or or whatever and i will do a movie eventually on the year 2020 Mm -hmm. um but i'm not like i have nothing to add to all of the crazy shit that's floating around about the election, because the reality is, is that we don't know. That's the problem. In America, we don't have auditable elections. Right. And as somebody who doesn't have access to the investigative powers of the state, anybody that's coming out and saying they know exactly what happened, can't prove it. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to take, the only thing I have is my credibility. I haven't been wrong about anything. The whole mainstream media was wrong. And I was right in what I said about Russiagate. And it's like, I can't risk that on just popping off and being like the election, even if that's what I think happened. And I, and, and I have theories. And even if that's what I believe, I can't like do that. That's one of the things that I really maintain is that like, I don't, um, I'm not going to come out and say anything unless I can prove it completely. And so that's I'm very yeah. careful about how I do it. And I, I, I'm i very careful about how we how we protected the movie the way that we ensured it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of details to making movies that, you know, it's um, it's something that I feel like would be a nice. I kind of like have that to give to our 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 community. Like, that's why I want to make. Right. Want to make movies from other conservative directors or other kind of dissident directors because producing them and making them solid and giving and getting them massive distribution is actually the the thing i'm good at
2: mm-hmm. so yeah, people don't understand the process and like how many things are involved in creating a film and you know even a commercial i i was in hollywood for a short amount of time and it's it, it's ridiculous and if people only knew it's like holy shit, it would blow their minds It's, it's wild, but no, I think that that'd be really cool. Like, you know, um, there aren't many conservative producers, so I think that would be really cool if you were to, you know, offer that to the community so they could see, you know, from the inside what it's like. Yeah. Definitely.
6: Yeah, yeah. And I'm definitely one of these people I I hope that's about more voices, not less, which is kind of like the Andrew Breitbart thing.
2: You know, right. I don't want to yeah. be
6: these like there's this weird thing on our side where people get really like jealous and possessive. Yes.
2: Like I oh I, yeah.
6: Oh yeah. <laughs> name guys to this day won't won't talk to me, won't mention the movie, who are like big Russia gate. Right. Experts because they have in their mind this fantasy that they were going to make the Russiagate movie. And who am I to come along and make the, <laughs> the Russiagate movie? And you're like, so you're going to be jealous and pissed off at me because I made a movie you imagined you might make one day in your mind. Like haters, haters.
2: Like, <laughs> really crazy. It's like, like, it's like the left unites and like every aspect. And and then you've got us, which we should be doing. Like, it's so stupid. Yeah, and-
3: There's a lot of jealousy in this community. Um, A little bit lighthearted now, but still keeping (laughs) with a serious tone. What is it about the New York times more specifically, David Brooks? Why is he obsessed with you, Amanda?
6: I don't know that he's obsessed with me, but I, um, sometimes like, look, everybody has like a different way of sort of like blowing off steam. And, um, back in the day when there wasn't Twitter and I was in relationships Sometimes I would just like pick up my phone and I'd have to like text like a like a multi-page Sort of rage text at like the guy that I lived with mm. uh, to to like alert him to the fact that there was there was something that I didn't like and it wasn't so much that the um, it, it just felt really good to like write it out I feel like I access different parts of my brain when I'm like rage tweeting. So You know, once or twice a week, I kind of allow myself to pick some deserving victim of my vitriol and I just sort of like, it's like a creative writing exercise for me. And I don't really care what David Brooks thinks that I know or don't know about a movie that I was raised on. But, uh, I happen to have gone to this very lovely conference that is a very needed conference, okay? So the National conservative, uh, National Conservatism Conference, um, which hosts people uh, far smarter than I am. Uh, I am sort of like the, um, like I'm like the like artistic movie artsy girl that that goes. Um, and I love these people. These are all my friends. All of my friends speak there. And the reason that this conference is important is because what they're trying to do is articulate, what is America first? What is national conservatism? Um, Without constantly using the word Trump to describe it, because at some point we have to be able to articulate what our point of view and our policies are, and how are they different than traditional conservatism? How are they different than the neocons? How are they different than leftism? Um, Without having to just say, you know, what Trump said. Um, and it's, I'm, you know, as I said, like, I'm very pro Trump, like there's no, there's nothing not Trump about it. It's just that this is a conference about speaking about these things uh, and, and, and doing the work to articulate this stuff. Obviously this scares to death, these extremely dry bow tie nerdy out of date, irrelevant, conservative, uh, conservative writers that write for the atlantic and the new york times or what i I don't even i don't even see politics in that way anymore and that's what the thing they don't understand about like our generation is that like i didn't like the bushes i still don't like the Mm -hmm. bushes i can't decide if i hate the bushes more than the obamas i don't know the clintons who are they all suck (laughs) the <laughs> is, yeah, like, I, don't, I don't have to make that distinction anymore. It's like everybody knows that we have a shorthand. So some guy like this comes to the conference and really what he wants to do is shit on the conference and make it seem like it's like this really stupid uh, gathering of barbarians that are not nearly as sophisticated and interesting and well educated as him. You know, like he, he goes and talks about I mean, his his I love these guys They go to these conferences and like their point of view at it just shows that they have no friends like that was a, conference was so fun and it was like a lovely time and it was great and it was it was exuberant and exciting and it was it was great and so like a guy like him goes and has to like crap on it and i usually i would have said something because i think his review of the conference was really stupid anyways um but i don't go about arguing with these people in the way that they're used to because i'm not an academic i freely tell people i have a master's degree in film production and I never got an undergraduate degree because I couldn't be bothered to show up the class. <laughs> so I'm not trying to out academia anybody. I don't care. When I worked in policy planning at the State Department, which is like this, you know, extra special place where people get PhDs and dream of working their whole life and all of this, it was an affront to the entire national security uh, world that someone like me would be occupying um, the chief of staff's office, which I believe at one point was occupied by George Kennan, and that I sat in there, covered the place with pictures of Trump and smoked jewels. So I, I that's, <laughs> that's what I am. Right? Like, that's, Love it. Yeah, like that's, I, I, and they're not going to like that and that's fine. But so like I'm not coming at him with like some, you know, I didn't write like an opposing paper and, and like ha- publish it about how my view of the searchers was incorrectly stated and da, da 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 like i just do what i do which is i saw it late at night on twitter that this asshole had tried to reduce my entire talk which was about the decline of american mythology of which I used certain aspects of the types of movies America was making at the time of The Searchers um, and the sort of moral uh, confidence that we had at the time and conflates it into this completely, and he knows, he's smarter than that, completes, uh, puts it in this totally reductive, ridiculous way of saying that like, oh, like Amanda Milius doesn't know how to understand The Searchers. Like my father has, raised me on this movie i know every single possible interpretation of it my own brother's name is ethan (laughs) he's named after the movie like (laughs) i i promise i have a nuanced view on it i promise that he's i mean the fact that also by the way who is he to come away from the searchers with this woke point of view like that like the message of the searchers is that ethan is racist and not allowed to live in society you're like dude you missed the point that's not actual. No, like you're wrong. Um,
0: well, that's the so, message for everything now. Yeah, true. Huh? That's the message for everything now.
2: Yeah, basically.
6: It's, he's managed to like he's managed to run the searchers through like a wokeism mythology, and this is the guy who puts out articles um, with you know like a bipoc family photo that says maybe the nuclear family isn't all it's cracked up yeah. to be. And you're- Maybe go fuck yourself, you fucking piece of shit. Like I'm so stupid, these guys. Like <laughs> I, I just—I that's the thing—is like I don't care. I'm not gonna like sit there and like right. have like some fucking academic, nuanced jerk-off session with this guy. Like and and I just don't care. He's irrelevant. He is nothing. These guys are nothing. They are they are done. Our thing is new. Our thing will win. Yep. We're all gonna make it. They're not going to make it.
3: I love yeah, it. no, one hundred percent. I agree with you. I, you know, I was I was going through it this morning, and I'm 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 on like the third or fourth tweet of that thread, and I was like, damn, I really hope that she can retweet our show episode later if her Twitter account survives this rant. But looks like you're going to be okay. It was still up before the show started. And oh that, yeah,
6: I mean, I didn't say anything that's like not. I mean, what's what's the big deal? Like, I don't know what I'd get banned for anyway. Like,
3: um oh, they go, someone, and they go and cry to all their insider friends that work at the uh, at ooh. those companies.
6: Yeah, I mean, someone there was this one. The couple of people were like really getting hung up on the fact that I called him an elderly queer. Yeah, and they were—he's were, <laughs> not gay. He's not gay. He had an affair with his wife, and I was like, you guys don't understand how language works. Right, I was like. You can be an elderly queer without being gay. You can also be a faggot without being gay. You can. Be I a- love
7: you. Very I refreshing. You. Oh my Very gosh. refreshing. It's like
2: a woman after my like- own heart. <laughs>
6: <laughs> it's the same. I mean, it's like it's actually like. Um, a sort of better and more advanced use of these beautiful words that the English language has gifted us with. And I don't know why people want to limit themselves when there's phrases like that that really describe someone. I mean, can you think of a better phrase to describe David Brooks than an elderly queer? No, I, I
3: really can't. <laughs> no, I really can't
2: Perfect. I love it. So,
3: <laughs> and, and I'm always going after those people from the New York times and we bash them all the time on this show because they just decide to like rewrite history in whatever narrative of wokeism they want to write it. And then they get you know, Pulitzer Prizes for it. And it's just like the paper will retract it a year later. And they'll be like, yeah, we didn't really mean it. Well, give your trophy back then. Yeah, yeah.
6: That's what's amazing is so, so what's really exciting about the New York times is so they've got this one reporter who's um, who I always say hi to. <laughs> hi, Adam. Uh the, the Goldman fellow who, mm. um, um, works directly for the FBI. He has access to classified files. Well, that's of great. Figures. I know this for a fact. Um, and he he he's their little dog. He when the FBI wants something published, they write it. They hand it to Adam Goldmer, Adam Goldman and um and and others at I, and there's certain ones you know CIA uses certain writers yep. usually at the at the Washington Post FBI uses New York Times and so they have these writers that go out and and I love that they talk about things like journalistic integrity and it's like you're the comms department of the FBI yeah. you're the comms department of the CIA and I don't even say that as like I'm making a metaphor that's what they are <laughs> that's literally what they are so So when he comes out and, you know, when they did that raid on James O'Keefe, conveniently enough, oh, look, suddenly The New York Times has all these secret documents that only the FBI could have gotten. And it's like, I think that woke a lot of people up. Yeah. But I I remember when I was first beginning to do the movie, when I was starting, uh, I had just resigned. Very few people knew I was even considering doing the movie. And this guy calls me up amongst many other journalists called me up at that time because remember i mean i kind of worked in shadow comms i mm-hmm. did talk to journalists quite a lot like i i kind of i'm one of these people that's not afraid of journalists like i talk to them you know and and i'm not i don't like the, the conservative way of dealing with journalists is usually to just like hang up the phone really quickly and hope they don't write a story and you're like yeah, that's not a good tactic um but uh, but so I know a lot of these people, but so I was getting calls a lot and they were like like saying the creepiest things like they were just like, so what are you going to do now? Like, what are you thinking about doing? Like, are you going to I heard you used to make movies. Are you going to make movies again? And I just play dumb. I'm just like, I don't know. Do you think I should? Like, what should I make a movie about? Do you want to make one with me? Like, I don't know. Um, and then, you, of course, you've got like freaks like Daniel Lipman at the uh, at Politico who has like, oh, I don't know gosh. why they let people with terminal autism work at. um <laughs> at these outlets, I feel like it's a liability. But I mean, he literally takes, I mean, and I've seen this, he takes um, whole cloth articles that were written by people either in the administration or other administrations that want it printed deletes the other person's name puts his name on it and publishes it and Perfect. politico wow. it out. Yeah. and this is the guy and he, he like follows like religiously all the girls like many women from the trump administration <laughs> or any kind of republican girl and like follows them and dms them and is like hey mm-hmm. how's it going like i wanted to write about you for politico and you're like oh, politico like really are you going to write about <laughs> my birthday like oh. mm. and it's just so embarrassing these people are such massive dorks i mean that's that's what you've got here is you've got like journalism of like the the class of people that could never get laid and, and they run the entire messaging of like the entire United States. And so you've got like these like, like absolutely like, you know, halfway autistic, socially inept, um, people with weird feelings about like sexuality and men and women and this and that and they hate conservatives because we still have genders and like they're just these very complex, messed up, psychologically damaged people and they're like running around like looking at your FBI <laughs> files and like all this stuff. I mean, it's <laughs> such
2: a creepy, dorky world. Basically, got retards running this this shit. <laughs> and Literally,
3: they're, and like they're they still like, not getting up. laid. Yeah. And they're still not getting laid.
2: Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. It's hilarious though at the same time.
3: We know you're doing the movies now. You're going to be working on some projects there. Um, I was going to ask you like casually, but now I'm going to ask you like beggingly. In a future administration, a Trump administration, would you see yourself going back to work for the government again?
6: I don't think I can. I mean, after everything I've said, like I kind of decided I wouldn't even try, uh, because if I, if I was like, oh, maybe one day I'll work in a Republican administration again, like I couldn't tweet, I couldn't talk, I couldn't do podcasts. I'd have to be careful what movies I made. like Because we're still in a world where, um, you know, remember when I worked in the Trump administration, they reviewed some some RNC dorks, reviewed my college film yeah. that I made to graduate USC. Oh my gosh. Wow. All of the fake joints in them, in the movie, the movie which is a post-apocalyptic Psychedelic lesbian weed western, okay. It's a yeah. sci-fi movie, and they're like circling the joints, and they're like, "Can you explain this?" And I'm like, "Uh huh." It's a movie. No way. Like it's a movie.
2: <laughs> it's a fucking movie, you moron. Um, anyway,
6: yeah, it's amazing, and uh, and actually, what's lovely about that movie is it's uh, Dasha Nekrasova's first movie, which I'm just so honored that my student film was her first movie, and yeah. now she's a big movie star. So, uh, and, and the uh, co-host of the greatest podcast ever, besides yours, oh, thank Red. You. Star. Um, Uh, But anyway, so yes, I mean, you have to remember like that was back in ours. So you'd have to have a pretty based Republican administration to even consider hiring me. And I there's only one job I want. And it's sort of like this self. It's a little bit of a created position. Um, I I wouldn't really want to be a Spox because standing behind a podium and sort of reading talking points is not i'm not good at that i think i like the the white house uh boxes that we've had have been fairly good i think kaylee mckinney was amazing i think sarah huckabee was amazing they know how to do this they're they've got it there's a lot of republican women that can that can go to bat with these guys i prefer to be more under the current and do sort of like more dark arts type things um i mean there's a there's a couple positions that i would i would do I just, I, I don't, you know, I like, I don't like people knowing where I am all the time. Yeah. Um, I, I don't like uh, being accessible all the time to a great deal of people. I don't like, uh, I like kind of doing my thing. Um, I will say that when Rick Grinnell is secretary of state, yes, uh, there is definitely a position in there somewhere that I would like to create for myself. And I, I would do that in a heartbeat.
3: So I'm going to take that as a soft maybe. Yeah, and and it's definitely <laughs> definitely something. After getting to know you today, see, I told you we were gonna have fun, and and we certainly yeah. did. I I hope that in the future you would like to come back, maybe when you're going sure. through your next movie, or just, you know, I, I saw you on. Were you on Gutfeld?
6: Yeah, I, I go I do Gutfeld like once a once a month, once every six weeks. Yeah,
3: I mean our show's just just like that, just not for boomers. So you know we can we can yeah. cuss, <laughs> we can do all that stuff. The jokes are actually funny. Um, you could say. You can call people from I the New York Times. Uh, no, I like him too. I mean, he's definitely one of the best ones there. But, you know, you can come on this show and call people elderly queers, and we won't mind. And we'll actually yeah, laugh with Yeah, we'd love you. to
2: have you on. You're amazing.
6: On, If I can if I can just come yeah. on once a week and do, like, the elderly queer rundown, like, I'm in. Oh, Please perfect. do. We're,
3: we're, we're going to be emailing back and forth now, and I, we're going to set up a segment for you. <laughs> nice. For sure. Hey, listen, right Amanda, <laughs> I would appreciate it if you emailed me your movie link so I can accurately put them in our show description. But before we cut with you today, because we got Dr. Navarro waiting, can you tell oh, our, our our Navarro. listeners where they could find you on social medias?
6: Yes, I'm on Twitter at at Amanda Milius, which is M-I-L-I-U-S. Uh, same on Instagram. I think there's like an underslash, you'll find it. It's at Amanda Milius. Um, And importantly, please tell your friends, as the Durham report is coming out, as things are coming out, you've got to become a Russiagate expert. Yes. The movie is as fun and exciting as a spy thriller. The plot against the president, it is on Amazon, number one documentary of 2020. It's on iTunes. If you don't like either of those companies, it is also on Rockfin, which accepts crypto and is a great platform that is uncancelable. So I highly support uh, seeing it on one of those and telling all of your friends. And it's good for red pilling people. I can't tell you how many people have told me that they have girlfriends that are not particularly political or their parents or their family or whatever before Thanksgiving. Get them to watch this. It it, it works. It's the it's the ultimate red pill. It works.
0: Play it during Thanksgiving. Will
3: do
6: yes, <laughs> during Thanksgiving before and after.
3: There you go. <laughs> and, you know, for dessert, you could talk about Mike Lindell's Supreme Court filing that's going down on Tuesday. It'll be a perfect Thanksgiving for everybody. Amanda Milius Plot Against the President Thank you for coming down with us on Steak for Breakfast today
2: Thank you guys for having me Yeah, thank you for coming
3: Joining us next on the show Former Assistant to President Trump Former Director of Trade and Industrial Policy In the Trump Administration He's one of three admin officials To make it all the way through, soup to nuts And he's the (laughs) author Of In Trump Time Inside America's Plague Gear. Dr. Peter Navarro, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast
8: you know, it's great to be with you. I got I got the scars to prove I was there, not not just for the four years, but from the campaign in yeah. 2016. And by the way, I used to eat steak for breakfast literally every day for about 20 years, and somehow uh, I, I kind of weaned myself from that. But it was good while it lasted. As uh, your show's going to be.
3: Sure is. You could always circle back to it if you want. <laughs> oh man! All right. So we're going to jump right into it with you. Uh, we are. Sure. We are going to talk about the book. But like you said from the beginning, I want. I want to kind of get a little bit of a canvas, as you like to say, on more Room. Sometimes, uh, what sure. was the, what was the overall experience like? I mean, you you had done politics. Uh, you you would taught politics and and trade policy and stuff um, at the college level, and you know, obviously, you're a doctor of education. And what was the experience like serving in the administration? I mean, I know there were ups and downs and there was obviously some really critical uh, time-changing events for our country, but going to work every day and serving in in that kind of an environment, what was it like?
8: Uh, well, I, I think the, the President Trump was the ideal person for me uh, to work with. Um, a business professor, entrepreneurial, uh, try to be innovative, try to look at the chessboard and things like that. And uh, his freewheeling style was ideally suited to my personality. And when I went in there, um, nobody was really telling me what to do. Uh, I knew what the president wanted. I figured out kind of how to go about it. Uh, What became my signature and specialty early on uh, was uh, writing executive orders, Mm -hmm. um, which is the use of executive authority to get stuff done in Trump time, by the way which is a coinage I, I uh, did early in, which means as quickly as possible. Uh, I saw right away that trying to get anything done on Capitol Hill uh, was a road to nowhere, uh, particularly with uh, Mitch McConnell yes. and Kevin McCarthy uh, there. Um, both of them were not um, supportive of, of the transformative aspects of the Trump agenda, secure borders and the free trade, fair trade, Issue being, being the, the two most important. So, I, yeah, went of my, my business, the um, the Interrupt Time book is based on a journal I started keeping early in 2017. Um, I, I started keeping it uh, basically because I was shocked when I got in there at how many people inside the perimeter were opposed to the president's agenda. And I wanted to record that for history, but also hold... People accountable, yeah. and and this uh, this book is is uh, is about the last year um, of the Trump administration, and uh, basically uh, did my thing, drafted orders. President would send me on missions. You know, I became the lobster king. There's a great chapter <laughs> in the in, in Trump time book about how we go up to Bangor, Maine, and the lobster fishermen up there getting screwed every six-way to Sunday by a variety of interests. It's like, Navarro, take care of that. You know, that was fun. Um, The Buy American, Hire American thing, which were the two simple rules of the administration, were my bailiwick. But as we reflect now on all the problems we're having with the supply chain, which is broken down, labor shortages – it, it, what I was doing on behalf of the president and what the president's vision was of the economy is really what we need right now, and it it it, it grieves me uh, to see uh, how out of touch and out of tune the Biden regime is with um, basic economics and and kind of the MAGA vision of where where we need to be. And yeah, the epilogue, the end Trump time book is, is basically a vision of, of where we need to go. But, but even as, as uh, you read that and I wrote it, uh, we're moving uh, seemingly uh, quickly in the opposite Mm -hmm. direction and I'm very concerned.
3: Yeah, we are, we are moving in the opposite direction right now under this regime and it's really painful to watch after a lot of the, the great work that you did inside the Trump administration. Um, getting in there and and the early years you mentioned 2017 changing the culture and then trying to navigate through all the vipers that were working inside the white house at the time as well you really set your sights and focus on 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 getting china to get in line talk about the, yeah. the, those experiences and, and and what you see we all know and we talk about it on the show how how they just kind of let all that work slipped through their fingers when you guys handed it to him on a silver platter, that whole thing, which nobody thought anybody was going to get done with regards to the tariffs and stuff like that. The, uh, you know, the yeah. skinny deal. Yeah. What, what, how, how is that going toe to toe with, with them f- for the first time, really on, on like a presidential level?
8: Well, that that's, uh, that's chapter one of the interim time book. I call it the red wedding chapter. It's, it's an homage to the game of thrones. And in it, I go over uh, the, the, the strategy that would evolve with President Trump. And, and we had going in, look, during the 2016 campaign, mm-hmm. and I was his top trade advisor. It's like we were going to slap tariffs right away um, on communist China. We were going to do that because of what I call in the In Trump Time book, the seven deadly sins. It's the intellectual property theft, the forced technology transfer, the cyber hacking, Dumping, state-owned enterprises, currency manipulation, and killing us with fentanyl—those, that's the economic aggression that China comes at us with to this day. And every person watching and listening to this needs to understand that we are under attack yep. by the Chinese. So we had we had uh, a clear response to that: we just tariff the hell out of them, uh, and they either change their tune or we tariff the hell out of them. Right? That was the strategy. And in the chapter one of the Trump time book, I described how that was that was my preferred strategy. I called it sudden zen, right? Just do it, right? Like we promised. But what ha- what would happen for a variety of reasons, uh, we evolved into what, what I call the dragon in a pot strategy, which was rather than slap on the tariffs right away, it was like, okay, we'll do it gradually. We'll give... The, the communists had just enough rope to hang themselves. You know, we, we would like negotiate with them. And every time they would they would turn us down on stuff, we'd raise the tariffs a little bit. And that way, the public, the American public could see how disingenuous liars the Chinese were. Yep. And, and that gradually over time, we were able to raise the tariffs uh, and do it in a way where we had full political support. Uh, I still think we would have been better off just doing the sudden Zen, yeah. but it seemed to work up to a point. But but what happened was at one point uh, when we thought we had a deal with them, the Chinese do what they always did. They retraded the deal and then they discounted it down to the to the skinny deal. And so I'm in chapter one in the interim time book. I'm sitting there. We're signing the skinny deal on January 15th um, and everybody in the room's happy. And I'm in a cold sweat. I'm in a cold sweat because of this. Right. This is Wuhan, China. This is the P4 bioweapons lab where the virus would emerge from. It's January 15th. Um, I'm watching the cable traffic, the classified info, uh, the satellites of Wuhan crematoria burning bodies. Hmm. And I had like written it it just like (laughs) 20, 2006 in my coming China Wars book, the first yep. book I wrote on China, I actually said China was going to create a global pandemic and kill millions. I mean, that's that's a prediction. You can count on like one finger the number of people in America who, who predicted that, right? So I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm on full alert. What I didn't know at the time uh, was, was that St. Fauci, the guy who had <laughs> positioned himself kind of as the hero of the pandemic and do such damage to President Trump, He was actually the guy who used American taxpayer dollars to fund the Wuhan lab. And more importantly, he's the guy who transferred the technology uh, for the Chinese to genetically engineer uh, the virus, which is now killing so many Americans. It's using this what they call gain of function experiments. And there's a there's a scene in the book and the audio version is really cool because I actually use clips. From uh, from from TV, but but also real people like Bannon and Lewandowski and other in it. And there's this fascinating clip from the from a guy, Peter Daszak, who I describe as like the dumbest human being who ever tried to play God.
7: Right? Yeah. True and story.
8: He's, he's like Fauci's conduit to 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 launder money into into this lab. And and Daszak sitting there before the pandemic explaining on a TV program well you just you just inject some material into the backbone of a bat virus and you know it's like out the other end comes a killer virus and by the way I'm not doing it but but my Chinese counterparts are and you know like it's 60 seconds of video which explain exactly what the game was um with 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 fauci so you know working with the president and I told him twice uh that, you know they got the <laughs> I like the joke I'll show you show you the cover here. It's like me across the resolute desk kind of doing this, which you really shouldn't do with the president. But I got, you know, but I may or may not be telling the president to fire Fauci that day. (laughs) I told him twice. He didn't listen to me. I don't blame him. Um, You know, I was a trade guy. He had Fauci had all the healthcare bureaucrats with him. And and the coward Mulvaney, who was the chief of staff, didn't want to risk the blowback um, but that's that gives you a little taste of, of what went on in the White House, particularly during the pandemic, and that's why this first book of my uh, my memoirs on the on the White House focuses on that last year rather than the first.
3: Yeah, that, that's definitely, uh, you know, and, and you bring up that point. You're probably one of the only people in the Oval Office besides Donald Trump at times. I mean, he did have to kind of save face with with the amount of press conferences he was doing every day and the way that the media was spinning it into the worst thing ever to happen in the history of the universe. But that really stood up to Anthony Fauci in the white house and and kind of went toe to toe with him um, in regards to the way that the pandemic was being handled. Um, Once we get into the virus Obviously we're, we're yeah. I mean, everyone who listens to this show, they follow you, they follow the war room, they're supporters of of President Trump and the America First agenda. We we gotta touch on the on the twenty twenty presidential election. Um, sure. your views, obviously, on on how the media, big tech, Wall Street all helped labor unions use yeah. the pandemic to kind of Get us to the point that we're at now. I mean, how was it working through that and seeing it unfold when, yeah. when you, you essentially knew it, what was going on?
8: The, um, the, there's no question in my mind uh, that the election was stolen from the people um, of America. And um, again, I referenced the In Trump Time book. There's a number of chapters in there. For example, the chapter uh, homage to Perry Mason, the curious case of the delayed vaccine, mm. shows how Pfizer – And the FDA and Fauci conspired to prevent the president from being able to announce a positive uh, surprise before Election Day. You know, that's the kind of thing that was going on. Meanwhile, Big Pharma is like slamming the the president uh, for wanting to uh, keep drug prices down. So so there's that um, element in in terms of the election. Um, You had... um, uh, The Democrats uh, basically implementing what I describe um, as uh, the the stuff the ballot box strategy. And it's something that I came up with. It's like after the election on November 3rd, um, I knew something was wrong, but I figured that the Trump campaign, Kushner, Stepien and Clark would aggressively prosecute those irregularities. And when they didn't, um, there's a chapter in the book. It's, it's like I go in on Thanksgiving Day, no turkey, no football, no problem. And I begin wading through what are literally thousands of affidavits and other documents. And I come up with the, the three volume Navarro report. Mm-hmm. And then uh, that goes into the in Trump time book with 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 a lot of enhancements and updates. But the the the, the, the central message is that there was no silver bullet the Democrats shot to kill The the Trump presidency. It was rather death by election irregularities. And when you mention big tech and all of that, um, in the in Trump type book, there's a there's the tale about how Zuckerberg and used Facebook bucks to spend more money. He spent more money than the Trump campaign did in the six battleground states. Now, think about that for a minute. Think about that for a minute. And what he did was he privatized what should be a public election system, in a way, with drop boxes um, and ballot harvesting, that allowed the Democrats to stuff illegal ballots into uh, into the, the ballot boxes in in Dane County, around Milwaukee, uh, Detroit, uh, around Mich- in Michigan, and in Philly, of course. Yep. So, um, you know, he's he's culpable. Uh, and of course, you had uh, uh, Twitter's Jack Dorsey uh, is censoring. Uh, the the president of the United States. I mean, go figure. I mean, that guy, um, he, he, Zuckerberg. There's a lot of people who should be um, before grand juries for a lot of different reasons. Uh, Fauci should just go straight to jail for yeah. what he did. But yeah. Zuckerberg, uh, Dorsey, Pachai. Uh, be interesting to see whether they colluded. On, uh, on taking President Trump down, certainly Albert Borla at Pfizer. Yep. Um, he's accused p- anybody who questions uh, his vax- vaccine uh, and the universal vax policy, we're criminals, yep. right? Okay, you look at science and it doesn't support that policy, but we're criminals, not not intelligent, rational Americans expressing our, our uh, First Amendment rights. So there's a lot of, lot of villains in the In Trump Time book um, and it's, it, there's a lot of granularity and, and I hope people will, will, will buy the book, give it to their friends. The audio, um, book is really cool if you're not in, you know, the right, do your commutes and things like that. But it's mission is really important. It's fire Fauci, get them in jail. We got to get them away from our kids. Yeah. Hold the Chinese communists accountable for what they did, uh, in Wuhan here and unleashing a pandemic. And get to the bottom of November 3rd, because I don't think we could really go forward until we we do that. If you and I think about this, if you and I were sitting here and you were interviewing me in 1961, November. okay, and. um, Yeah, I had uh, I had worked for Nixon when he was vice president and and we knew uh, then what we know now unequivocally historical accurate fact. Kennedy stole the election from Nixon. We we know that. That's not in dispute anymore. Would we be sitting here having an interview, and would you say to me, "Hey, do you think Nixon should run in '64, and won't it be great when we take back the Congress in '62," or would you be saying, uh, "Look, we know we know Kennedy stole it. Let's take it back by getting that the, this decertification of results." in Illinois, and Texas, where it was stolen, and and let's put Nixon in the White House now. I mean, I think that's any rational person uh, who believes in fairness, that's the route they would do, and that's the route I think we need to do with uh, Donald John Trump.
3: You know, that's a great analogy, and I don't think I've heard that one before, but obviously, like you said, it is historical documented fact, and when it comes out of your mouth and you compare it to the 2020 election, it makes a whole lot of sense. All right we are now living under an illegitimate regime. Like we we've already covered that. We don't need to go into specifics. We we covered extensively on our show and you guys do a whole hell of a lot better job when you guys do it on and when you're on war room, but there are consequences that go along with this. You know, we've seen some of, it's a it's like a combination of the worst cabinet hires probably in the history of the federal government, in addition to some of the biggest revenge hires in the history of the yeah. federal government. When you talk about
8: like <laughs> revenge hires, I get well. Well, it's yeah. true
3: when you look at like how Alejandro right. Mayorkas was, you know, definitely under the the microscope when he yeah. was at CIS, giving everybody and their sisters visas, and then you have Merrick Garland, obviously, yeah. who is not competent for the job. But this is definitely something that Obama pushed to get him in, in over at the DOJ. But then you have Mayor yeah. Pete. And yep. some of the other ones yeah. that are, that are in committee for confirmation right now, like the guy that was uh, up for the ATF chipment. I can't yeah. even believe that. Yeah. Awful. Yeah.
8: Um, but by the way, I, I, I refer to uh, a good guy, judge judges. M I a Pete these days. Yeah. Um, I like that PMI one. Drift. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
3: he, well, I mean, sir, you gotta, you gotta understand he, he's just adopted children and chest feeding is important. Well, maybe he got lost <laughs> on a bike ride. <laughs> yeah.
8: Yeah. Well, uh, you know, to that point, um, when I was in the White House uh, for four years, it was a mission. Uh-huh. It was like I was on a ship at sea, and it was a 24 7 job. And uh, I owed that to the president. I owed that to the American people. And when I heard that Buttigieg Judge took not two days or two weeks, but two months off in the middle of the worst supply chain crisis I've seen in my lifetime. Uh, I, I was, I thought somebody was spoofing me. I thought this was like candid camera that kind of troll me to get me to go off on the guy, uh, when it wasn't true. But when I found out it was actually true, it's just like, to me, it's the poster child of everything that's wrong with, with the Biden regime. And there's so much wrong with it, but that's just turns that should turn everybody's stomach that, that guy should not even go out in public. That people should just, just every time he goes out in public, they should remind him that he was MIA and abandoned his ship.
3: Yeah, it, it definitely was. And I mean, a lot of people could commentate on stuff like that, but coming from somebody, no, listen, nobody lasts four years in a presidential administration as an advisor or a cabinet member. It's just, it's usually unprecedented. They'll either come in a year late and then last the last three or, or someone will leave after two or someone will get reelected and then they'll change out some cabinet members, you know, coming from someone that actually took the job as, as serious as you did. um, It's definitely has a, holds a lot of value. Do you see moving forward next week? Are you hopeful uh, on, on what's going to go down with the uh, filing of the Supreme court case? for for the election stuff.
8: What I know is that the election was stolen and let me just do some quick math. For for example, Arizona. Yep. The the victory margin there was about 11,000 votes for Biden, alleged. So, what we've done in Arizona with the Navarro reports as a template for the investigation is how the, the, the Republican Senate authorized what was a partial forensic audit in only Maricopa County, which <laughs> is the county around Phoenix. What they found, among other things, was rounding out uh, 50,000 ghost voters who voted absentee in the election. Now, a ghost voter is one who casts a ballot absentee, and you go back to find them, and they don't reside at that address. Clearly an illegal vote. It was ghost voters that were used in Chicago uh, to steal the election from Nixon by Mm -hmm. Kennedy through Mayor Daley. So it's not like this hasn't happened before. Now, here's what we know, and here's the the, the math. We know that Biden carried absentee ballots by a minimum of two to one. So if you throw out 50,000 votes, that's a 17,000 vote swing in favor of Trump, uh-huh. which is more than enough right there to overturn the election result and decertify. So and that's just one result. I and and every single one of the six battleground states, I can do a similar kind of calculus and show to you that 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 election was stolen. So um, I think I think. Um, What's important is to continue activity at the state level, to press for full forensic audits, get the receipts, as we say on the war room, mm-hmm. and then take action, action, action.
3: Yeah, that's definitely something that uh, I think uh, needs to keep going. And, and and hopefully, you know, we've seen some the wheels turning in Wisconsin looking kind of hopeful yeah. there at the state level. You're seeing them really kind of it, it's it's all who wants to be the first person. That, that yeah. the mainstream, you know, the legacy media is going to take and say yeah. this state is disenfranchising all their voters. When it's dead voters, when it's, you know, census voter rolls, it, it's people who don't live in the state, 50 people living at one address. Those are the people that are going to get audited out of these, you know, get to the bottom of the 2020 election. It's not going to be real human voters. And, and you know, you've already had hundreds of thousands of people across the country in those six swing states have their names cleansed from voter rolls. You've seen yeah. Pennsylvania this week, secret meetings. Arizona this week, secret meetings. Like, what's going on? Uh, you know, and, and hopefully we get some some disposition out of this at at some point in the near future. Definitely before the midterms. Um, you, you know, one other thing I wanted to bring up because you you did say you you were like the trade specialist, but you've already gone toe to toe with Fauci. Uh, you've done deep dive the Navarro report on the election, the border. You know, which is is so crucial to the United States. Your yeah. numbers are turning out to be the most accurate numbers out of anyone yeah. that could have forecasted this going in. How did you see um, that coming and, 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 you know, how did you think it was going to get as bad as it really is?
8: When, uh, when I was in the administration, I did a report on illegal immigration. So I had access to all of the data. I looked at it very carefully and, and, and you can see kind of what the numbers are in terms of arrests. Uh, the the key number is is the getaways, right? Because mm-hmm. you have to add add to that. And I knew uh, basically what what the apex was with an open border. And I understand what happens when you when you just get rid of everything and it's Katie bar the door. Uh, there's a great scene in the In Trump Time book. It's a short scene, but um, I'm I go to. Uh, the office of White House Legal Counsel, Pat Sipalone. Mm. And he, uh, his mission is to figure out a way once and for all to seal the border. It's circa 2018, right? And the boss is just beside himself because uh, the Obama judges, particularly one named Dolly G, have rendered decisions which have institutionalized the whole catch and release at the same time that they've turned um, young children in into cartel bait essentially and um, pat Pat asked me you know what what about tariffs could we use could we threaten those and I said yeah we could do it under such and such and such right so so we we threaten Mexico with tariffs uh, the, the left explodes the Wall Street Journal explodes yep. it's like no no you can't do that what, what, what. 20 but 24 hours later Mexico sends troops to the border but more importantly they do what's called the safe third agreement with the United States, which means that they'll keep the illegals on their side of the border. And like nobody coming up to El Norte wants to stay in Mexico while they wait. right? right. They, they catch and release. They come across the border and into the interior of the U.S. They go and never to be seen again. So the boss parlayed that safe third with Mexico into similar agreements with the Northern Triangle countries, El Salvador, Guatemala and Honduras and just right then is like, boom, shut the border. And so I, I could see what the numbers were before. I could see what they were after. And, and I know kind of what's going to happen, not just when you open the border, because the, the other thing, I mean, I'm a macro guy. What I process was what's happening now is, is now instead of having 95 percent of the illegals come from Mexico and the Northern Triangle, we got the world massing into Brazil and then coming up in caravans. So the, the, the amount of people, and here's the thing, it's like when you, it's not just that, that they dismantle the safe thirds, they, they the border patrol, customs and border, or when they get overwhelmed, there's a knock on effect where, where you just can't catch anybody. Yeah. So the number of, of getaways is even bigger. So that's where we are. I mean, the In Trump time book, um, doesn't, doesn't go much into the war issue, but other than to say, and this is important, that when you import two million illegals every year, you're not just affecting the taxpayers, you're, you're creating downward pressure on black and brown and blue collar Americans yeah. at a time when uh, we, only under Trump we were able to get rising real wages. So, um, you know, that's an issue uh, that's tough.
3: Yeah, and it's definitely one that's, that still needs to be addressed moving forward. Um, there were a lot of witch hunts during the Trump administration. We had impeachment volumes one and two, in addition to all the other things that they, uh, you know, tried to pin on the president and, and members of him administ- his administration moving forward. It seems like this week they they decided to, you know, since, since you probably couldn't be roped into the January 6th commission, they were going to try and have a uh, James Clyburn invites you to come down and, and talk for, uh, you know, some COVID witch hunt thing. I mean, this is just kind of out of control. It's it's not only to the point to where it's like beating a dead horse because at the end of the day, they waste all this money and there's never a there there. It, we wouldn't have to have subcommittees if like crimes or inappropriate things happen that because – then people would just be charged. How, how how do you feel now that that they're they're going after? I mean, they've gone after Steve Bannon. You know, they've they've subpoenaed pretty much everyone, and now now they're kind of yeah. coming and knocking on your door. Is is this is this just you know more <laughs> DC theatrics that's going to go nowhere?
8: Well, they literally knocked on my door today. Uh, <laughs> a sheriff came with a deposition, which which I, I thought unusual because. Um, When their Clyburn's office contacted me yesterday, they said, uh, "Do you acknowledge receipt of the subpoena and we don't need to send a marshal?" I said, "Yeah, sure, no problem." And and then they go ahead and send a sheriff. So what they're all they're trying to do is intimidate me. They're trying to intimidate Bannon. Um, They're they're basically using Congress as a tool to investigate rather than legislate. And it's interesting to me. It's like when When I got the subpoena by email, (laughs) uh, I had I had phone calls from all sorts of press people before I got the email. So clearly the committee leaked that information to the press. So so it's a political circus. I mean, I'm a big boy. Comes 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 with the game. They're uh, going to Clyburn's uh, game here um, is basically to try to say that the Trump administration, was derelict in its duty um, in, in the pandemic. And you know my response is read the In Trump Time book or listen to the In Trump Time book because the first third of the In Trump Time book is, is, a, is a beautiful granular explanation of how quickly we were moving in, in Trump Time on what I call the five vector pandemic attack strategy, which was vaccines, therapeutics, it was ventilators, it was PPE, and it was testing. Yeah. And the miracles that we pulled off, um, even as as the Fauci's and Pelosi's and de Blasio's in this world were still claiming that there was nothing to worry about. I mean, I started working on this thing in late January and it wouldn't be till March that uh, the World Health Organization declared it a pandemic and we had uh, Pelosi dancing in San Francisco and De Blasio saying, "You know, come on down." You know, so so the idea that that Clyburn would 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 accuse um, me or me particularly me of all people. Yeah. I mean, no, you're not getting rid. Of, no, read the in trump type book. If there's anybody in this town who was on this from the beginning it was me. I mean, I, if it weren't for me, we wouldn't have had the vaccine as quickly as possible. If it weren't for me, we wouldn't have had remdesivir yep. as quickly as possible or monoclonal antibodies. If it weren't for me, we wouldn't have had all the PPE we had in time. If it weren't for me, and there's a cool chapter in uh, in the in Trump time book I call the Italian swab job. <laughs> if it weren't for me, it, we wouldn't have had enough testing swabs because I got in 72 hours swabs out of the Italian Alps over here on a military aircraft and dispensed to six different cities on a FedEx plane. Wow. We weren't messing around. So Clyburn, it's like, you know, it's it's like for me, Clyburn should be the second most scorned person in Washington, D.C. The first one is Biden for all his failures. But yep. let's not remember. Let's remember how Biden turned things around. It was in South Carolina with, with Clyburn's, um, endorsement. Yep. And and that man has to bear responsibility for, for the, the, the tragedy, which is the Joe Biden presidency and the, 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 the joke that is, you know, but Clyburn by a uh, guilt, by association, um, he, he, he's a, he's the last person who should be throwing stones at anybody for screwing up America.
3: It sounds like someone, uh, is definitely in need of a signed copy of "In Trump Time." <laughs> <laughs> definitely, mis- Mr. Clapper. <laughs> I, yeah. I
8: will be delivering a box to the committee. Um, I don't know if I'll bother to sign them. That that, that might be a, be a little bit uh, bit too kind to these people. But uh, the "In Trump Time" book um, exonerates not only me from all the crap and witch hunts they're doing, but there's a chapter, last chapter. Um, and this is the last thing I got to say, because um, I, I got a, a, a hard out, as they say, in two minutes. Um, the, the In Trump Time book does exonerate uh, Stephen K. Bannon as well as the president with respect to um, any responsibility for uh, the, uh, the uh, violence that happened on January 6th. The, uh, the book explains like we, Bannon, Trump and myself were the last three people on God's good earth who wanted anything like that on January 6th.
3: I think we could all agree with that. Sir, quickest answer possible, moving forward. We know in the short short term you're going to be doing the book stuff, you're going to be doing War Room, a little bit long-term or future. Do you see yourself working in a future Trump administration again?
8: You know, it, the only way I survived for five years uh, with President Trump and the administration was uh, just focusing on the mission day to day. That's what I'm doing. I would urge everybody, when they think about those kinds of things, to stop doing it. I'm thinking about November 3rd, firing Fauci and holding China accountable. But uh, it's great to be with you all. Um, and um, I, I, I really do appreciate it. I encourage your uh, your viewers and listeners, go out and get in Trump time. It's a great stocking stuffer. It's better than a lump of coal, at least. There you go, sir. And uh, if you got never Trump people, give it to them, and, and maybe you turn them around a little bit. We'll live link the book to, uh, details
3: in our show description today, sir. Real quick, social medias, you got any for us?
8: Sure. Real P. Navarro on Getter. It's the Twitter killer. <laughs> I'm still on Getter with Real P. Navarro. Uh, and you can learn more about the book at uh, peternavarro.com.
3: The hardest working man in the Trump administration, Dr. Peter Navarro. Thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast today, sir. Have a great weekend. Take care. Well, I don't know if you guys saw this week, but uh, El Presidente sat down with uh, Joey Pillows for a one on one interview. Oh, the actual El
0: Presidente? Yes. Not
3: like. And the actual Joey Pillows? Yeah. Sleep well, America. Giza sheets. <laughs> I want my Giza slippers. Oh, yeah. yeah. for for I'm getting
2: my mattress topper in. Oh, and
3: that, maybe a
0: Giza dog bed. I
3: want my Giza promo code. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to email this personal assistant today, and, yeah. and I'm going to say, come on, Caitlin. Stop breaking my balls. Can we get a steak 15, please? Yeah. Oh, man. All right. So, the, yeah, they sat down for a one-on-one interview. I believe it was at the event, um, the American First Policy Institute event because Donald Trump was bearing a tuxedo. Um, if it wasn't, it's kind of weird, but I still kind of like it. He definitely knows how to dress. I, I pulled a couple clips from it, and uh, let let's check out. You know, these two guys—they love each other, and uh, you know, Donald Trump really appreciates all the work Mike Lindell's doing. So let's let's hear some of the banter back and forth.
9: On is a strong military, mm-hmm. great education for our children, a nice house to live in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's so basic, sense, it's so simple. common sense things, and and they fight us. It's uh, it's, it's very disgusting.
10: Sad. It's disgusting well you go back to november 4th and we all lived this twilight zone uh i always say like there was an old saying you know if a tree falls in the forest and no one heard it did it really fall well then the media tells not us if there it is falls no on forest. a pillow yeah. i mean that's what it was back in november and yeah. december and and now you know we were yeah i know but we were all living in this twilight zone you were living there with us and but then you had all the betrayals and attacks on you that escalated to a whole nother level and Eric told me once that you said right before you were going down that escalator to make your famous announcement that you said, well, we're going to find out now who our true friends are. That's true. Wow. And, and I never forgot that he said that to me and you know, it was everyone out there since that time, we've all been praying for you,
3: for you to have strength. And my question is what does. I love Mike Lindell.
0: He's such a nice man. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to figure out why he's out a breath right there. It's just, he's, he's always like disheveled. No, but he's always just like overextending himself by like, he's talking about stuff, talking about stuff. I think he forgets to breathe. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. I think so too. And I think because he's in front of Papa T, you know, he's like all excited and he's like, Oh, I can't contain myself.
3: <laughs> no, that's, that's definitely a, a good point. Uh, something that they did touch on right after that was, you know, getting a little bit into the Durham stuff. Cause you know, that's rolling li- right along and it looks like the, uh, the scope of the targets, the investigation seems like it's getting wider, but who it's f- starting to focus on is starting to get a little bit more narrow. So yeah. let, let's hear how Trump responded when Mike asked him about the Durham investigation.
10: In the emotional strength, what do, where do you get the emotional strength from? Because we pray for you all yeah. the time. To people, and, ask,
9: people ask, uh, it's, it's not only from that, it's just the whole... Uh, they the come at you from and every every side. And everything. I you went four years weight on it. your
10: shoulders Yeah,
9: and now you read where and, and it was totally phony to start mm-hmm. off with but now you're reading all about the Russia thing It was a hoax. Yep. It was set up by Hillary Clinton and the Democrats mm-hmm. and paid for and they dealt with Russia right.
7: mm-hmm.
9: Now what could be crazier than that? Mm-hmm. It just came out today as you see they they nabbed another one mm-hmm. and Her lawyer her lawyer was involved. I mean the whole thing Durham while it's taking a long time, right. it's very devastating things that mm-hmm. he's coming out with to them. Right. So, it, you know, that was a hoax. Mm-hmm. Uh, the phone call with Ukraine was a perfect, I say yeah, perfect call. You got impeached over a phone right. call that was right. a perfect call. Or don't forget Tim Scott, who was a terrific man and a terrific senator from South Carolina. <laughs> he read the call. Fortunately, I had people transcribing mm-hmm. it. Had they known that, they would have never done the impeachment because they found out much later. Right. But fortunately, we had it. But, you know, Tim Scott said he read the call. It was a perfect call. What are you doing? Right. But they were down the line. They said, let's just keep going. That's These are people the attacks, that are uh, you know? bad people. No, no. Anyways. So, just-
3: you know what I like? I like the fact that now there was a little bit of a pause, but Trump did not pull the Biden when talking about Tim Scott and call him in addition to being a perfect man and a perfect senator. I'm kind of relieved he didn't call him a perfect
0: Negro. <laughs> oh, saved it. Still good. I mean, maybe he's in the same league.
3: Uh, true. Satchel Paige was a great American baseball player, as was told to the Pope while sharding.
5: <laughs> while sharding.
3: Now, now for my last clip of this, and again, there was no breaking news. There was no this, that, and the other thing. This was. You know, Donald Trump throwing Mike Lindell bone for all the hard work he's doing to put on on Lindell TV, which I think is awesome. Um, What would be any kind of Trump anything without talking about our favorite? Rigged and stolen. Nice. Yeah. Got to touch on the 2020 presidential election.
9: We know what happened. Right. You see it in the reports. You see it in everything. And also, they're guarding. They're so guarding it, they don't want to give the votes. They don't want to give the ballots. Mail-in ballots are a disaster. They basically use COVID-19 or the China virus to rig the election, Mm -hmm. and it's a shame. And I hope the Republicans get tougher. Mitch McConnell's a disaster. The guy's a disaster. (laughs) The old crow. He should have never approved that. He should have never allowed. And it was very sad when Mike Pence gave those votes over because... When you have more votes than you have voters, when you have other things that are so wrong, and that was then. Now, since then, many other things have happened which show that you were right and right. I was right, right. and yep. people yep. were yep. right yep. that were looking at it. Yep. It's, a very, uh, it's a very sad thing.
3: A very sad thing. We all know it is. Know a very is. sad
0: thing. So, obviously, I mean, more votes than voters. Is, that's a pretty good point. It's one of my favorite ones. <laughs> yeah. It was so rigged and it was just stolen. That's what it was. We wouldn't have
3: an interview of that magnitude without some kind of a media meltdown. Yeah. Everybody's favorite, Mr. Potato Man. Ugh, Mr. Stelter. No pants during a Zoom meeting. Wanted to talk about how Donald Trump found somebody else to give him a platform to promote the big lie. So let's kind of hear w- what Mr. Garrison thinks about CNN.
11: Glendale sell, besides pillows. He sells false hope, and Donald Trump is helping him. False hope is a combustible thing. So I wanna show you what Lindell is doing in his uh, far right corner of the web and how it affects everyone else. Lindell is a born-again Christian and pillow tycoon. He built a comfortable business and then he jumped into bed with Trump's political movement. He was rewarded with White House access and airtime. Trump even endorsed the pillows. So Lindell check, was true. an insider good pillows. he loved it. Now both men are on the outside, but not for long, Lindell claims. With the energy of an auctioneer or a preacher, he spouts the lie that Trump is actually the real president and that the election shall be overturned some way, somehow. He says all of this on Lindell TV, his home for true believers. Watch the intro to his show and notice the reference to hope that he provides hope.
4: This is the Lindell Report, bringing you news combined with hope by offering practical and achievable action points to assist you in defending and preserving faith and freedoms. And now, here is your host, Mike Lindell. It's
3: the music from Independence Day, by the way. <laughs>
10: Hello, everybody.
3: It's like The Daily Show, right?
11: But this show is where Lindell rails against last year's election and attacks the voting company that's suing him and claims China rigged everything against Trump. He keeps kicking the can down the old road, first suggesting Trump will be back in office in May, and then August, and now November. He claims he's heading to the Supreme Court with a case they will just have to hear.
10: So that's getting, that's getting filed a week from Tuesday. It's this thick, it's different, it's not what was filed before.
11: As you can see there, he's dishing this stuff out at conferences, on live streams, on webcasts, and he even says he's meeting with attorneys general in various states. Attorneys? Lindell has an entire universe of this stuff. He has a 24-hour feed on his website, Mm -hmm. and he has his own version of YouTube, Mm -hmm. and it's all part of this broader, far-right brand. When other members of the media scrutinize it, he
10: screams evidence is out. It's going to be too late to close the gate. So all you Daily beasts, you Business Insider, you politicals, you Yahoo, your Jim Akowskas, your CNNs, your Rachel Maddows and MSNBC, all of you, it's over.
2: Hilarious. Every time I, I, I hear Stelter, I think of Mark Dice's impression. Yeah. So uh, when well, he talks, that's the that's the sound I, I think of in my head.
3: Well, I don't know if you guys saw last night. As we're rolling through, we've rounded third. We're heading home. Um, a record was broken in the halls of Congress last night. Shattered, actually, not hmm. not Satchel Page Maybe too soon for shattered. Not, not shattered. <laughs> shattered. Oh, thank you,
1: <laughs> Kevin what McCarthy,
3: happened? who longs to be Speaker of the House, but is yet to prove that he can whip all of the Republicans to not vote for stuff from the other side of the aisle. Whip. Yep. Gave an eight hour and 42 minute continuous without breaks speech on the house floor last night. What the fuck? No pee breaks. Nope. Perrier. Maybe he stole some of Biden's diapers. Just talking. Shattering Nancy Pelosi's record. I believe it was in the four hour range. If I
0: had to listen to Nancy Pelosi or. Pelosi, Pelosi for four hours. No, you were probably right with Pelosi. <laughs>
2: <laughs> How could she even talk for that? I mean, she can't even talk for fucking thirty seconds. I mean,
0: just imagine. Like, is there is there like a recording of that? Is Remember, that like she, a thing we can? Can you imagine? Like, she doesn't make sense when she talks for two minutes. Kid, like, she's been in politics for like what forty years. I mean, four hundred years. Yeah, there was a yeah, exactly. Back
3: when she uh, proofread the Constitution. <laughs> <laughs> But but this was an, a direct response to stopping the build-back crappier reconciliation from getting passed after it went through the, uh, the scoring office yesterday and showed that it would cost the American taxpayers almost three-quarters of a trillion dollars when Joe Biden told everybody it would cost them zero. Tax breaks for the rich. It's tax, a little bit of a difference in pricing. Tax, tax increases for the middle class. And again, well, to make
2: sense, the eight hours, you know. I mean, I would have a lot to say, too, but eight hours, damn.
3: Yeah, so long story short, they just wanted to make a stand. They prevented them from voting on it yesterday. I believe it was voted on and sent on to the Senate today. It's going to be DOA, but in the Senate, apparently, because of the because of the uh, the office score. But still, mm-hmm. you get to see. I, I, I haven't been able to look yet because we've been doing the show what Republicans went and voted with it today. But... W- Let's listen to a little bit of those. Now, listen, I only have a few brief clips, so don't worry. It's not going to be eight hours. I got some of the footnotes uh, on what exactly was going on last night. Maybe we should have episode 84, just eight hours of filibuster. The reawaken the uh, House (laughs) of Representatives story. (laughs) Let's let's check some of this out.
12: That CBO report said a growing debt burden could increase the risk of a fiscal crisis (laughs) and higher inflation as well as undermining confidence in the US dollar, making it more costly to finance public and private activity in the international markets. I'll guarantee you this, Madam Speaker. The dollar won't be the world currency then. The CBO report, it reported that with the growing debt and the rising interest rates, the net spending for interest more than triples the relative size of the economy over the last two decades of the projection period, accounting for most of the growth growth in total deficits. I guess you're going to have to hire more IRS agents. Mm. A New York Times article reported that the CBO warned that such high debt levels will lift borrowing costs, slow economic output, and raise the risk of a financial crisis. The Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, a fiscal watchdog group, warned after a preliminary forecast was released last month that the nation's long-term outlet was an air raid siren that can be heard for miles.
3: Well, there's kind of the tone. Noah's already uninterested. Yes. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's boring. <laughs> stop, stop it. Yeah, I'm so, kidding.
3: Did Pelosi, did Pelosi sit there for the whole eight hours,
2: you think? No. I was wondering that too.
3: Because I kept going back and forth, and every time I clicked the live feed, he was still there. So I kept wondering if it was like archived videos, but it was saying it was live, and there was like thousands of people in it. Yeah. But but at some points, he referred to the person sitting in the chair as Mr. President and then Mrs. President. Um, so, so I, I'm,
2: yeah, they were switching. And yeah, stuff.
3: When, when they leave, they just oh, appoint yeah, somebody no. to sit there, and they become like, you know. Not the they're like, of the I'll House, catch you
2: later on video, yeah. maybe. <laughs>
3: they, they're like the officiating president of the event. Let's hear a little bit more from uh, Mr. McCarthy.
12: This isn't a Republican or Democrat issue. This is the safety of this nation. Hmm. What do you think's going to happen to that border? Spicy. When you cried a billion dollars in amnesty. What do you think is going to happen when you reward people with $450,000? Where do you get the money? From the hardworking taxpayers of America.
3: You know, there was a point, and I don't think I have the clip because it was like a really long one where he was talking about the American people didn't elect Joe Biden to be FDR. And from the friggin', you know, third tier at the top of the house, AOC, of course, yells, I did. And it's just like you don't even know who the fuck FDR is. Shut your fucking mouth. She
2: doesn't know anything. She's some rando from fucking upstate New York. From some pretends to be from the Bronx.
3: Exactly. Last last clip of Kevin McCarthy here looking kind of grouchy.
12: I don't know if Speaker Pelosi stays around.
3: Mm.
12: Well the damage that she's doing is a lot. Personally, I hope she stays. I want her to hold hand that gavel to me. I want her to be here. Oh, scissor me, Timbers. Did he say hand that
2: gavel to me?
3: Yeah, because you know he's vying for Speaker of the House, to which people yeah. took to Twitter and said, mm. you do know that the Republicans are going to nominate either Jim Jordan or even have Donald Trump nominated for Speaker no, of
2: the House. I, I mean, I, I've heard the whole Donald Trump like, theory, but I really don't think he would.
3: Well... It's interesting. I mean, it it wouldn't be
2: a bad, it wouldn't be bad, but me personally, me personally, I wouldn't want, I want him as president. (laughs)
3: Well, I I do too. But if if he's not, if he's not going to get back in through the courts, then, then it's been suggested on war room. And it's pretty funny that you mention it because when you think of Donald Trump, I mean, he's still pretty well connected with Mark Meadows, right? They're meeting on a regular basis. Well, Mark Meadows went on war room this morning and talked about Donald Trump being speaker of the house. Let's hear it.
1: Ooh. I would love to see the gavel go from Nancy Pelosi to Donald Trump. As, you're talking about melting down. People would go crazy. As you know, you don't have to be an elected member of Congress to be the speaker. Wouldn't you Wouldn't you see she would go from tearing up a speech to having to give the gavel to Donald Trump? Oh, she would go crazy.
3: Noah likes that one.
8: President Trump came for 100 days and sort things out and then step out and announce his 2024 campaign. To me, it is made sense.
3: If they win a supermajority in the House, like, everyone's assuming i mean bannon's line right now is 100 seats we're going to rule the senate for 100 years that's 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 what he's pushing on the american people and that's that's what he wants like they call it the MAGA posse to to be out there you know on the ground working towards not being able to nominate a private citizen is something i believe that's happened twice uh a former president in between presidencies it's happened once i believe it's grover cleveland and i wouldn't hate it and like he said it doesn't matter if you're in control of, of a super majority in the house, like Donald Trump could come in, piss everybody off for a hundred days and then they could, you know, fight over if it's going to be Kevin McCarthy yeah. or Jim Jordan. So I mean,
2: I would love Jim Jordan. He'd be amazing. If Jim Jordan know?
3: has a representative seat in 2022, he might be running for a Senate spot.
2: Yeah. So you never have. I mean, it's a good plan B definitely. I mean, amazing plan B. Right. But like I said, personally, I would love to see him in the, you know, back in the presidency, but if, you know, we had a plan B, that would be the next best thing.
3: What do you think, Noah? Not opposed. I mean, it'd be funny. Yeah. Just imagine him sitting there with his legs crossed, leaning back in one of those chairs, <laughs> just
2: shitting on people. <laughs> it'd be <laughs> so fucking so, funny. I, uh, I'd it'd probably watch epic it more. Burn. Would, would they have to give him his Twitter epic back? burn to that bitch.
3: If he was back to being a public figure, would they have to give him his Twitter back? Like if he was like a, an elected official?
0: I mean, I don't think they. I think they. Suppo- they would probably be supposed to, but they wouldn't.
3: Can we talk about one other thing real quick before we wrap? I know you guys probably saw it yesterday, and it's only because there's a. It's a razor thin majority in the house. Paul Gosar, mm-hmm. N- Noah. Now you've seen the video. Yep. Was it the worst thing you've ever seen? Was it kind of funny? Yeah. But but do you think it was anything ridiculous? no he he was censored by the House of Representative and stripped of all of his committees, oh wow, yeah, yesterday
2: ridiculous, well, it was so stupid, it's so stupid, it's like considering like everything the left has done, and like it, it's fucking crazy they, they i mean they're they're just like grasping for straws or like they're trying to like do i mean
3: they have eleven months left to do this and then it's over yeah. like it's
2: pathetic though for real, like really, they got mad about that oh showing aoc getting murdered like the fucking headlines i couldn't believe it
3: it's just it's, it's i really- mean
2: i'm not like i mean a lot of people want to see her gone but you know i'm not nobody's like vi like
0: but how, how many people but kathy gone. griffin holding a dismembered trump head not that was okay kathy exactly griffin,
2: that's what i was gonna say and that's what i had in mind it's like seriously right now and that was like plastered all all over the country and people like cheered it in the in like some anime meme video (laughs) no but
3: but but real it's not even about like the famous people because they they're just going to do that because they're they're completely irrelevant like kathy griffin i'm so thankful that she caught advanced cancer it's like the greatest thing ever yeah And that's a a mean thing to say. Trump curse strikes again. (laughs)
2: Listen, yeah, don't there is a Trump curse. I'm telling you, (laughs)
3: look at our elected officials. Maxine waters called for violence against Trump cabinet members. Nancy Pelosi called Donald Trump, Hitler and members of the Republican party, Nazis and stormtroopers. In addition to all the bad stuff they said about law enforcement. And then there's so many other ones who have made polarizing comments over, you know, the course of the last five years for them to even think that like a fan made anime video, that he retweeted when his twitter account says retweets are not endorsements mm-hmm. to actually didn't
2: even make the fucking video these people are retarded no, like they're act- insane. they're just they're like i said they're they're fucking grasping for straws or like Mm -hmm. trying to latch onto anything to like sling mud hoping shit sticks you know for headlines to distract it's so stupid like i would listen if i was aoc i would have fucking laughed like it comes with the territory when when you're in that position i would have i would have if I had a friend that does memes or like makes videos and if there's somebody on the left, well, they can't meme and they can't really do what we do <laughs> on our side. If I was, AOC, I would have done something like, you know, in retaliation in that sense, you know, but like to take it that far, it just shows what kind of pussy you are and you can't take any criticism. <laughs>
3: and, and by taking it that far again, I just want to clarify for the listening audience, being censored is one thing. Whatever. Yeah. that mean, it's like, it's like a verbal slap on the wrist to stop doing stupid shit. But you're removing him from these committees that he was nominated for that he paid to get into, because that's part of the whole thing. You know, you pay your dues to get into these committees. And now because of a anime meme, he is not being able to do the job that the people elected him to do. I think that's such a huge red flag that we're a lot of people take out of context because they just think about like what the situation is, but not what the situation means.
2: Listen, I think they were looking for any reason to do something you know i think they were looking for any reason to get him out of that you it, know position he That's is a
3: it. pretty big shit poster he does shit post online all the time
2: yeah but, he, but he i, I all honestly they, and, they were like like they're gonna look for anything you know like um milius was saying like we're we're so like conservatives and the republicans are so scrutinized and they've got this magnifying glass on us they're looking for any single thing the smallest thing to use against us to you know
0: and and it doesn't go both ways too. It's sure like if somebody on their end could literally, yeah. I mean, anything. There's no holds barred. They can do whatever they want. They literally call for to like
2: to like attack like the conservatives and the Republicans. Like they're like conservative like uh, people like us, you know that that are you know follow Trump, you know support him, support Republicans have died because of what these politicians on the left have called for and have yeah. said you know, it, it's, it's, it's insane. It's insane, really. But yeah, like I said, they're, they're just looking for any reason to excommunicate.
3: Yeah. True story. And, <laughs> uh, you know, moving forward, we'll, 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 keep an eye on it, see where it's going and see what it does. You know, people like there was people in the Senate yesterday. I mean, Jim Jordan and obviously Matt Gates and the house representative said that they are not only going to nominate Paul Gosar and Marjorie Taylor green for committee spots. They're going to, uh, nominate them for spicier ones when they take back the house in in 2022, which I like, yeah. and and then we'll we'll hopefully they'll move a whole bunch of Demo-
0: Democrats moving forward. Um, wait, so if they're calling Trump Hitler, yeah. And, so and, does and that make Biden, Shitler I like it.
3: <laughs> Amazing Friday yeah. edition of steak for breakfast we really went and uh hit some new levels today of awesomeness guests were great news is always solid the cycle's going to keep on spinning and we're going to keep on reporting it um specifically on every major podcasting platform oh. you can find steak for breakfast on itunes spotify pandora podbean Google Podcast, FM Player, and now iHeartRadio. Subscribe to the show, rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and most importantly, share our content. Show creds this week, in addition to us, and Amanda Milius, Dr. Peter Navarro, The Daily Breb, Star 1776 Moose is Loose, Q's for O's, Cagbro88, Patriotic Babe Accounts, Garbageo.reel Christina Bob of OAN Mike Crispy of Right Side Broadcasting Network Red White and Truth Podcast Congratulations on your first live on Getter yesterday Nice And Tom Pappert, the editor-in-chief of the National File Sponsors We love them We also love helping make small American businesses great again Man Mmm. Less than a week away, Noah that turkey's just sitting there, waiting to get thawed. Not doing turkey. What? Unless it's at work. I said I'll bring you some leftovers. All right. We got like a 22 pounder, and you know what we're gonna do with that bad boy? We're gonna brine it, rub it, throw it in the oven, wait for the popper to pop. Giblets gravy will be simmering. We're gonna have some cornbread, possibly with jalapenos in it. Ooh, that's good. We're gonna slice it, eat it, num num num. Honey <laughs> on the cornbread? Hey, if you want some honey, we'll make it happen. Damn! ManRubs.com, Facebook, and Instagram. Their product is delicious. Get in there. Stay Ready Gear. Melted plastic done amazingly. There you go. I had some emphasis in my voice this week. Mm. Everything Kydex from things that your cups sit on to stuff that you dump uh, your keys and cell phones into to conceal carry
0: holsters. StayReadyGear.com, Facebook, and Instagram. I actually just got a nice comment about my holster today. Your gun is sticking into my hip. I'm not wearing your gun. Mike down
3: at West Coast Survival Arms. Servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's got a five-star rating. He's got a new, newly redesigned website at westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He could also be reached via the telephone, 619-870-6992. If you want to ask him a little bit more of a personal question, maybe if he's got ammo, Facebook Messenger always works with Mike. Yeah, he gets back real quick. All our first responders love Mediocre Medic. They like the IG. They love Mediocre Medic.com. You can find them on Instagram. And last but not least, Mark Joe Friday, owner operator, CEO, dumpbox.us. Find them on Facebook. Find them on Instagram. They are the home of the Zero Fuck Stuck. Perfect transition for our last sponsor. You can hear it in the headphones from audisd.com.
0: I got some new ones coming.
3: Audio, headphones, game console specific. You want crisp, Clear deliciousness in your ear Odyssey.com Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well Upcoming shows we've added some guests We got Coming up on Tuesday Miss Gabby Fox Everybody loves her from the Influencer community in addition to It's a reschedule but it's like Not a cancellation it's a move backer Trisha Flanagan running in New Jersey Three America First candidate She'll be joining us on Tuesday um, on the 26th of November, we're gonna have Jesse Strawham, very inspirational story, and we're gonna circle back with none other than Mr. Clay Clark, man, man behind the Reawaken America tour. Man, you
0: want to hear some energy behind a microphone? It's that guy.
3: Yep. And we, we've already had we've already had like the COVID version, the one he brought to War Room and to our show in July. He's got all new material, and he's gonna make us sweat for 27 and a half minutes <laughs> <laughs> next Friday. Uh, on the 30th of November, we're gonna have. Our moderator, Chris Paul, and Zuby. It's going to be a great episode. House candidate out of Arizona on the 3rd of December, Josh Bartnett. Just locked that in. Influencer and podcast host, Jessica Harlow, will be joining us on the 7th of December. And on the 14th, circling back, really excited to be joining us. We were his first podcast, Mr. Joe Kent. Nice. Yeah, he, he's pretty much... Uh, He's on Fox News every day He's on Newsmax every day He's on War Room once or twice a week It's, it's going to be awesome to have him back and, and have him all up in our show Giving us an update on what's going on in, uh, with, with his campaign Friends of the week James of We the People Radio mm-hmm. Sublime and Slime mm-hmm. Brenda Memes 10 Snack Nicholson Don't forget to back Uncharted territory Alan The host of the Great Divide podcast The Duke of Memes, Defiant L's, and Grand Old Memes. Just kidding, and Puberto's. Yes. Puberto's 2.0 as well. They sent me some cool videos this week, and we made sure to post them. Guys, it's been a great week. Two amazing shows. Get yourself through the weekend by catching up on steak for breakfast, and just do a couple of these things we ask you to do in between now and Tuesday. Do your own research. You want to know who does their own research? Dr. Peter Navarro. There wasn't a question I didn't ask him That he didn't have a lot of answers for
0: He even had a cool backdrop even though we're audio only
3: He did He, I mean like I said he was in charge of, of trade For the Trump administration He was right on COVID He was right on the border He's probably going to wind up being right on the elections Yep. And he's not going to get convicted by any bullshit Nancy Pelosi committee So we, we, we we're grateful for having him on He does his own research Go and do your own Hold the line Ride it Buy the dip Get the fuck in here snatch the wigs let's see what happens but most importantly where we go one we go all this has been episode 83 of the steak for breakfast podcast and we'll be back on tuesday with gabby fox and trisha Flanagan. i'm roan noah bye have a great weekend miss antoinette bye, lovely as usual thanks for listening and take care
11: Has President Biden told you whether he's going to seek re election
12: in 2024?
10: What President Biden and I started our day talking about, as we normally do, is um, bringing in members of our intelligence community to review the, the presidential daily brief and talk about classified information around threats to our national security and hot spots around the world. After that, we had an, another couple of meetings, and then I went over to the Capitol because I'm the president of the Senate and um, broke a tie vote there. And we are focused on implementation of the bipartisan infrastructure deal.
9: So you're not discussing 2024 yet?
10: Absolutely not. Damn!
11: Safe for breakfast.